Yeah, Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on C-Card? Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Plattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito, and welcome to episode 108, part one of my chat with Justin Johnson, and I gotta tell you people, holy fuck, what a great interview this was. I am so happy with the way this turned out that uh, I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, as we usually get into, um, I'm going to condense the whole social media stuff because what I'm going to tell you going forward is if you're interested in following me on social media or following the show on social media, um, the links are in the episode description. But I'd be remiss if I did not mention that I was off Twitter this week. I was off Twitter for a full week uh, on my main account because... Last week, as some of you may or may not know, uh, it was the 12th anniversary of the incident on the subway. And every year I release an episode where I basically give you every detail of the incident on the subway and the subsequent screwing that I received uh, by New York State, the court system, the justice system, and I released that on my other show, Nordic Knuckles. I'll get to that in a minute. What I also do on the anniversary is I set up a Twitter feed. No, a Twitter um, thread. Sorry, Twitter thread. And basically, it was a 49-tweet thread, and I actually added number 50 today. And basically what I do is I, I tell the story through this thread, and I have photos in there. And um, it always gets a reaction on February 12th every year because that's the anniversary of when it happened. What happened this year, and I don't know if uh, maybe some of the people I tagged in it didn't like it. That's too fucking bad. Um, somebody reported my header photo. And the header photo is the picture of me right before they placed me in the ambulance. It's the it's probably the most recognized photo from the incident. And it's the photo I used for the cover of my book. And somebody was uh, either, well, I'll, I will say, if they did it to bust my balls, that's fine. I actually would respect you a little bit if that's why I was, that photo was reported. If you did it to fuck with me, then, you know, good on you on that one. Uh, but if, if the person did it was actually offended by that photo, give me a fucking break. You are weak, absolutely weak. And you should be embarrassed. 
absolutely embarrassed if you're if you're offended by that photo. The photo basically tells uh, a major part of a major story in my life, and you're offended by that. You are fucking embarrassing. Honestly, you are so fucking embarrassing. You are such a fucking loser. Now, obviously, I don't think the person who did it listens to the show, but you never know. But just in case they do, I had to let them know that you are a fucking loser. You're fucking embarrassing. And you are so weak if that picture offended you. It's fucking embarrassing. I'd be ashamed if you were my child. Okay. So uh, Twitter basically said uh, I had two choices. I can admit that the photo was offensive, which I think if anyone should be offended by the photo, it should be me, but I'm not. Uh, And if I admit the photo is offensive, I can uh, have my Twitter account restored, but I have to change the photo. And I went a week waiting to hear back from them. I never heard back from them. And I just said, fuck it. You know what? Um, these interv- this interview with Justin is way too important to not have on my main Twitter feed. It's the, f- it's the account that I have the most, uh, followers on. And this story is way too important to just limit to the, the podcast feed. So, um, I bit the bullet. If you know me, you know, I'm stubborn as fuck, but this, this interview was so good that I said, okay, so, I uh, I agreed that the photo was offensive, and I changed my banner photo. So if you're curious, go look at what I changed it to. And uh, you know, like I said, that that's why I'm talking about my uh, my individual Twitter account today. But anyway, if you are interested in following me or following the show on social media, please just scroll down to the episode description of this very episode. And there are links. You can just click on the links. It'll bring you right to the pages. You can like, you can follow, you can friend request, whatever it is, what on whatever platform, and uh, and do it, and we'll connect. And uh, I'm happy to do so. And thank you in advance. Um, I'm going to mention Joe Marisich. Joe Marisich is the artist that drew the logo for this podcast. Joe just illustrated a book. I believe it's Islanders A to Z, and I, I apologize that I didn't do my homework before I recorded. Um, he illustrated this book, and it's something that he, he told me about a while ago, and it finally came out. It's a children's book, and it has uh, a ton of his illustrations. I can't wait to get a copy of it. Uh, Joe is an amazing artist. My logo just scratches the surface. Uh, if you are an Islanders fan, I strongly urge you to get that book because I, I saw some of the pictures in it. It's unreal. So um, whether you have a kid or not, it doesn't make a difference. The book looks amazing and I can't wait to order my copy. And if you're interested in hiring Joe for any art project you may have, um, just get at him on Twitter at graphics, Joker, uh, G R A F I X J O K E R. He's unbelievable. What a great guy. And, just unbelievably talented. So, um, so, uh, hit him up if you have any art projects and, uh, definitely check out the book. And like I said, I think it's Islanders A to Z, but you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. If you're an Islanders fan, I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, just a couple other podcasts I want to tell you about, uh, my other podcast, the aforementioned Nordiques Knuckles podcast. So if you're a regular listener to this show, you know, uh, a while ago, I sort of, grew very frustrated with uh, trying to secure guests, uh, guests ghosting me, all that other stuff. And uh, I put the mic down on the show, but 
I love doing it. I love doing the show and I love interviewing the guys. And, and it's very important for me that the story of these guys, the stories, their career stories, their, their journey is out there. And, and I love doing it. Like I said, so, um, Nordiques are always my second favorite team. I figured, let me jump over there. Let me start a show similar to this show. I just interview Nordiques players and players that played in their system. And so far, it's going great. I've had some really great guests. Um, whether you know the names or not, I really urge you to go over there and um, and check out the show. It's been, uh, it's been an amazing project so far. Um, I think I'm 10, 12 episodes in. I, I don't remember again, you know, nice of me to, to uh, make a note of that, but uh, it's called Nordique's Knuckles podcast. If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the other one. Very in depth. Same, you know, my same goal for this show is the same goal for that one. No one turns stones and I do my best to bring that to you. So uh, please check out Nordique's Knuckles podcast. Uh, give it a follow, leave a review. Uh, you help me grow the show just like you've helped me grow this show. Uh, the fourth line voice with my pal Darren up in Saskatoon, uh, currently in Las Vegas. But, you know, he's a hell of a guy, and uh, he left us with some episodes that will be uploaded in his absence. Uh, today's episode was a Sunday episode, and his new feature, which I absolutely love, is called My Week on the Internet. And basically, it's his um, conversations or give and take with uh, some of the people on these on these Facebook fight groups, and uh, I gotta tell you, th this week I was hoping that he was going to cover the two conversations that he did because I was re I was following them over the course of the week, and oh my god, oh my god, I mean it, it is just well, I'll let you listen. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. Uh, so that is a, a feature he does on Sundays, my week on the internet. He also does player spotlights. This week's player spotlight was on link gates. And um, if you've ever watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel. So uh, if you haven't go to that channel, subscribe and all the fistic goodness will be right there for you. You'll get notifications and um, you know, just, just uh, take care of Darren. You know, he takes care of us. He's the OG of the Enforcer podcasting genre. And, um, you know, a good guy to boot. He sent me some uh, some all-dressed chips and some ketchup chips a little while ago. Uh, I won that battle with the chips. They didn't stand a chance. So, uh, unfortunately, here on Long Island, we can't get either. So, um, but those, those are amazing. So Darren's a great guy, great friend. I've known him a long time. Definitely check out all the content that he puts out. Uh, second podcast is the new bully on the block. Five in a game. Uh, my friend Jordan from Cape Breton. He covers the QMJHL. And I think he's branching off a little bit into the Quebec Senior League. Uh, his latest episode was an interview with Marshall Word. And I didn't know anything about that kid. And uh, the interview was fantastic. I now know more about Marshall than I ever thought I would know. Um, and like I, like Darren says and I say, jo uh, Jordan right now, he's got the passion. He's got the fire. Um, you know, Darren and I have uh, swapped stories of our frustrations. And I think, you know, what Jordan does, he's smart. He does some interviews. He does some breakdowns. And, um, you know, like I said, Mocus. Mo 
Let's start over, dumbass. Mostly focusing on the uh, Quebec Junior League, which is uh, right in his backyard with the uh, Cape Breton Eagles. So, um, and and like I said, he's a good guy, really good guy, lots of passion, and he also has a YouTube channel. What he does a lot of times is incorporate his podcast uh, with video on YouTube. So I would definitely check that out because I'm a fucking dinosaur. I couldn't do that to save my life. So uh, so I envy the kid. So definitely check out his show and check out his YouTube channel, both five and a game. And some unfortunate news lately. Uh, five for Fighting podcast with Alec Coden-Salen is no more. Um, you know, Alec... Um, I don't want to say struggled a little bit lately. I think real life just caught up with him. It catches up to all of us. And I think the biggest thing is his uh, increased hours at work. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, recently married. He's, he's a kid. He's got a young wife. He's got a couple of dogs. And, you know, after a hard day's work, maybe you don't, you don't want to come home and just, you know, throw on the mic and try to find guests and everything. And, you know what Alec what Alec really did for the East Coast Hockey League promoting that league and promoting their players over the last few years and then um the league just puts the boots to him like they did really fucking targeting him it, it's a joke and honestly I think that was the last straw and it, it took a lot of the life out of him to do the show and uh personally Alec I don't know if you're listening to this I just want to thank you for the content you put out um I think Part of the biggest reason that I really enjoyed listening to Alex's show is that he's a unicorn. You know, I'm an old fart. Darren is slightly younger fart than me. Uh, Alex's just a baby, you know, and for a young kid like that to have the enthusiasm about hockey fights that he has, uh, it was just refreshing. And, you know, I'm going to miss his show. I hope he comes back. But like I said to him in a message, uh, if he decides never to come back, he should be very proud of the content that he put out his back catalog um really really terrific guests so uh he's gone but not forgotten uh and go check out his podcast uh it's up it's still there on the platforms so that's five for fighting and um alec best of luck with everything you do down the road uh, this is something that I've added to the intro of my Nordiques podcast uh I'm a game use collector as some of you may know and um I collect Islanders, enforcers, um, organizational enforcers. Doesn't have to be Islanders. Could be any any of the minor league teams they've ever had. Uh, Nordiques, any of their minor league teams they had. So that's the focus of my collection. Uh, and as an example, today's guest, Justin Johnson. Uh, I don't have anything of his. I don't have a stick. I don't have gloves. Don't have a, a bucket. Obviously, I don't have any jerseys. So if you are if you have anything of Justin's in your collection, I would love to add it to mine. So uh, if you think it might fit better in my collection or you think, hey, let me let me get in touch with Joe. I think it would look great in his collection. Please contact me and maybe we can work something out. But it's not just Justin Johnson. It's anyone that played for the Islanders, anyone that played for the Nordiques. But I'm focusing on JJ because he's the guest today. And focusing on JJ. Um, I never met Justin before alumni night a couple of weeks ago. And if you heard my last episode, I talked about it, uh, how great it was and how awesome it was to um, either meet guys for the first time um, and, or talk to them for the first time. Guys I may have been messaging with back and forth, uh, trying to get on the show. And Justin is a guy that I never, ever spoke to before. And, uh, 
when I went and uh, I asked him to sign a photo for me, I'd asked him if he'd be on the show. He was very into it right, right then and there. And um, I mean, just one of the most down to earth people that I've ever met. And he followed through with what he said. We recorded a nice long interview and, and this guy is such an inspiration, you know, honestly, um, there are certain players that are destined to play professional sports and destined to play professional hockey. Justin Johnson was not that guy. Justin Johnson, if you're not a professional athlete listening to this right now, Justin Johnson is really one of us. He really is. I mean, this is a regular dude that willed his way to the NHL. He worked his fucking bag off to get to the NHL. And although people will condense his NHL career to the shot heard around the world against John Scott, what I hope you get out of these interviews is his journey. Because it's an unbelievable journey. And I forgot to mention it to to Justin when we were chatting. This guy's career, this is a book or a documentary or something because this journey that he took to get, and you'll hear it, you'll hear it straight from the horse's mouth. The journey that he took to get to the NHL, to have that moment. Okay. Getting cut from teams, you know, three, four times in his career. Um, Just jobs that he worked in between playing hockey. Um, It's Justin Johnson is the hockey equivalent of Rudy. I mean, he really is. And I'm kind of getting goosebumps right now talking about it because when I was doing the interview with him, I was just pumped up because obviously everybody knows the end result. Everybody knows the crescendo that left on John Scott's face. Everybody knows that. But, but folks, the journey to get there is unbelievable. And if you're not that familiar with Justin's career and you're not that familiar with him outside of that John Scott fight, please listen to this very carefully. Because if you're not pumped up after hearing this guy's journey, and if you're not fucking inspired with with what the work this guy put in and the obstacles he had to overcome and just his never-say-die attitude, then I think you're a corpse. Because... I'm listening to it going, man, this guy is a fucking inspiration. And um, I, I think you will too. I I really, I don't know how you could, like I said, this guy is a movie. It's got to be a movie or a book or a documentary because his story shouldn't be limited to my podcast. It, it, it shouldn't be. But I am so pumped to bring his story to you. And I, all I can say is, I hope that you people enjoy it. Here is part one with Justin Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest tonight, oh man, I, I can't even tell you how pumped I am to talk to this guy here. Uh, my guest played one season with the Islander organization, played 50 games with Bridgeport, formed one of the most dominating tag teams in the league that year, probably in the whole 2000s. Talk about dangerous. You, you pick your poison on that one, and we'll get into that later. And, of course, most people know him for the shot heard around the world. But we're going to get into much more than that. The, the, the story of Justin Johnson is more than one punch, and we're going to get into that. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest tonight is JJ, Justin Johnson. JJ, how's it going tonight? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk to you. I really want to thank you for your time. No, no, good to be with you. 
Thanks. So um, usually my first question for all my guests is the same. Um, but I got to clear something up with you first and foremost. Now, everywhere I look, uh, I look at back of your hockey cards on Hockey DB, Elite Prospects. It says you're from Anchorage, Alaska. But I thought I heard somewhere that you were born in Seattle. Is that is that true or, or did I hear wrong? Yes, that's true. My mom had me when she was uh, in high school still and met another gentleman and he was in the service and uh, brought me up here. I was about three and a half okay. uh, to the joint. Uh, it's, it's now called the joint base. Uh, for sure, we call it J-Bear. But uh, no, that's how, that's how I ended up in Alaska. Okay, so you're all you really know is Alaska. That you're you're for all intents and purposes, you are an Alaska native. Yes, sir. Okay, and so the the question I usually start with is: If I had a time machine and I look back, and uh, not that you're ever little, I just I just picture you as this tank from even a young a young age. But if I saw a little tank skating on the 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 ponds or the rinks or whatever it is in Alaska that you did as a kid. Did you have a role model that you looked up to? Like I always say, when I would play street hockey here on Long Island, I always wanted to be Bobby Nystrom or Clark Gillies. If I had that ability to go back in time, who was the young Justin Johnson? Oh, from a a, a local uh, perspective, it was uh, Scott Gomez, uh, Brian Swanson, um, a lot of the first real kind of big time local guys that uh, you knew about, heard of, saw you know, uh, skate before or after you when you were a kid. Um, a lot of the UAA Seawolf uh, hockey players. And then, you know, there was a senior men's league team at the time called the uh, Anchorage Aces, and that's where our mutual friend, where I got to my most uh, familiar memories of, of, of Dean Drojevic is his time with the uh, with the Aces, and he had that infamous uh, stick video. But, um, you know, and then the UA guys were Keith Morris and Brian Kraft and Steve Bogievich and Jeff Batters, and a few of them played in the NHL. Uh, but for the most part, it was an independent collegiate team back then. But, you know, the NHL, I, the players that I grew up, you know, paying attention to first, um, you know, as I was rounding out my, you know, interests in terms of what I loved about the game was obviously Wayne Gretzky, you know, Mario Lemieux, uh, Ray Bork, um, I really liked the Russian guys because they were flashy and just, you know, just obvious, excellent skill level. Um, I love the tougher guys just for kind of, you know, the symbol that or, or yeah, I guess I would say that the symbolism of, of, of that element of the game that was truly unique compared to all other sports that, you know, you get exposed to here in the States. But uh, another another player I would say that that I you know paid a, a lot of attention to was Pavel Bure. Um you know, growing up and yeah, that's, uh, you know, and then obviously the, the, the older you get and you're checking books out or looking at books in, in, in grade school, you know, you, you learn about Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, Stan Makita, Johnny Bauer, um, uh, John Beliveau and, and things of that nature. And that was kind of my, how I got introduced to the game. One guy that you mentioned, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, years ago. He played in Kansas City with my friend Dean Ewan, was Jeff Batters. Uh, did you ever have the opportunity to meet Jeff? Oh, yeah. Uh, man, he was he was one of those larger-than-life guys that uh, he dated my friend's older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd come over, and he'd play, we'd play basketball, you know, and we'd play gym hockey with him, like, three-on-one. And we'd literally be hanging on his neck <laughs> or his shoulders, 
trying to stop him. He was just such a, you know, six foot three, two forty two. He was just a, uh, a mountain yeah. uh, of a guy, you know, awesome hockey player, big, strong, you know, played a heavy, heavy game, but he was good too. You know, big yeah. slap shot, just a guy that you couldn't, you couldn't miss as a, you know, 11, 12 year old, uh, kid, you know, he was, uh, you know, I met him, uh, you know, like I said, probably the mid nineties and he was uh, the one thing I always say about Jeff was that if you met him for five minutes, he made you feel like you've known him your his whole life. Like he just yeah. was just the, the kindest, gentlest guy. He had that big, big belly laugh and mm-hmm. um, just what, what an unfortunate uh, tragedy that he's no longer with us. And when you mentioned him, I, I had to definitely uh, point out and ask you uh, if you had ever met him. So I'm, I'm, oh, glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. So I'll oh, go ahead. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. We have that. Uh, we both have had that pleasure because, uh, He's a guy that if you if you were involved with the UA hockey program or whatever, he's definitely someone that was memorable and no one's forgotten about him. One of the few that skated in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Dean Trebojevic, a former guest of the show. Um, so two questions, well, a few questions. Uh, when did you first meet Dino? Uh, I was probably, you know, same thing with Jeff, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, another guy really quick before I forget, just so it's in your mind, is Mike Peluso. Oh yeah. He's also a Seawolf. And so that was the first real, real big time guy that, uh, you know, you paid attention as a, as a young kid, you know, in the early nineties. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, Peluso. I met, I met him once or twice when he was with uh, New Jersey, good guy, big dude. And, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, everybody knows Mike Peluso. I mean, the guy is, uh, uh he's unbelievable. What a career he's had uh, Stanley cup champion. So, you know, great for him, you know, happened to a good guy. So, so turbo when did you first meet him i was like i said 10 11 12 time time frame just uh, you know the hockey camps that we had um you know that that was kind of everybody went to those those hockey clinics in the early 90s for sure now uh turbo told me a story that he met you when you were younger and then as you got older um you would ask them to come i think it was to come to one of your college games and he said he wasn't really that interested he wanted to see violence in the house how accurate is that story? One hundred percent accurate. Yeah. You know, but but by, by then he was, uh, you know, had a couple of kids, had a had a had a had a career. He was uh, established in, and he lived probably I want to say a good fifteen minutes uh, down the street in Eagle River, which it was a bit of a uh, a jock for him to get to the Sullivan Arena, and uh, you know, for a guy like that, you know, just you know the the kind of role he played, and, and just. Uh, you know, someone you just, you couldn't miss, and you know, now I know. You know, being being a guy that's older, you know, when I go to watch a hockey game, I want to see some guys that you know are out there giving her. You know, being ultra competitive. Um, you know, being accountable. You know, holding other people accountable. Um, you know, not shying away, not backing down, and so I I totally get it. You know, for so for a guy like that and. The, these winners that we have up here after a long work week, it's, uh, you know, he, he better have good reason to come down to the rink. And so, you know, I would tell him that, you know, if I, if he ever did come, I wouldn't let him down and there'd be violence for sure. <laughs> I love that story. I and absolutely love it. And, and for everybody, um, you know, obviously I, I, I knew about JJ watching him on TV and stuff, but I actually got to meet him a few weeks ago at alumni, uh, alumni night here. And, uh, when I mentioned to him that we had a mutual friend, the Dean Trebojevic, that's the first thing you said to me, violence in the house. Yep. So I love yep. it. Um, so I'm calling you JJ, but you have had a few nicknames. Uh, I believe your the the most recent nickname as a player was the Governor, which 
I believe was a promotion from the previous nickname you had was the mayor. So uh, could you tell me about having those two nicknames and where you got them from? Yeah, just being a, a guy that was from Anchorage and I was really involved in all the hockey clinics uh, around town. Uh, obviously, you know, friends and, and, and people you grow up with and they've got kids or uh, you, you kind of, you know, you, you become baked into the local network, if you will. And so I, I knew a lot of people from that. And I also came from a side of town where, uh, same side of town that Scott Gomez came from, where it wasn't a very hockey affluent or, or um, deep community. I mean, we had a lot of great hockey players from that side of town, but most of the hockey players uh, came from the southwest uh, um, part of town, the hillside, if you will. And so what that means just for me, you know, being half black, half white, is that, you know, I had a lot of friends that knew nothing about hockey. Um, you know, people I grew up with, people I knew very well. Obviously, there's the cultural things going on. Um, and so I just kind of, because I was going to school here locally, you know, where I'm from, uh, you know, I, you, you, you know, you get to meet all different types of people, if, you, if that makes sense or if that kind of goes along with what I'm trying to say. Um, so, you know, people would be with me, you know, hockey players, you know, teammates that I had or guys that would come up to visit and, you know, I'd go, go everywhere around town or showing them or doing things or whatnot. And people recognize you and they acknowledge you. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're a guy that moved up here to play hockey in UAA and you're around town with me, you're just like, wow, you know, everybody, right. Just like that <laughs> thing goes with, you know, just cliche. Uh, so that's where the mayor thing got started. It's like, oh, look, JJ's got to stop and kiss and hug every little kid and. <laughs> give everyone 10 minutes and so it was the mayor then but then when I kind of finally got elevated to the aces after a couple uh you know you know being cut and some some experiences where I didn't couldn't quite uh you know cut the cut the roster or make the roster I should say um I finally made it in a guy named Jack Michaels who's the uh play-by-play for the Edmonton Oilers you know I was finally starting to kind of be known here locally for a different element of the game that I wasn't known for, obviously, because you know I couldn't fight in college. But he started calling me the governor because it was to him it was like you graduated from the college ranks and now you're you know you're in minor pro and you're duking it out. And so we're going to call you the governor now because it just sounds more ominous. There you go. All right, that's yeah. cool. So yeah. um, so here in New York years ago, uh, there was a player on the Mets named Sid Fernandez, and Sid Fernandez wore number fifty because he was from Hawaii. Um, is that, and I know a lot of your career, you did wear 49. Does that have any correlation to you being an Alaska guy? No, it was, uh, there's a player named Steve McSwain and he was one of the first guys from my part of town that, or really Anchorage that kind of really kind of made a, an impact, you know, where he wasn't just playing the game at a higher level. He was actually, you know, one of the, you know, more known entities in terms of leading these leagues and scoring like the USHL. And I uh, played in the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, and you know was uh, uh, known to be known to be a great goal scorer and a, and a great skilled player. You know the guys that a guy that put up numbers, and uh, he was very good to me. You know I would knock on his door at, like as a little kid and ask him for an autograph or ask him for a stick and things like that. And now that I think about it, you know how, you know that was. Good. That was very nice of him, yeah. Right to, to show me that attention and open the door and 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 then do and then take it even further and and you know invite me into the home, you know, figure out, get to know who I was. I got to know his parents, um, and you just someone I fell in love with as a, as a, as a role model. 
um, as an older guy, and so he wore forty nine. Okay. So I wore I wore it as a tribute to him. That's all. That's even better than wearing it because you're from Alaska. Yeah. So, yep. um, so you had mentioned Scott Gomez before, and uh, to me, Alaska is like Alaska may as well be the moon for someone from Long Island. Like I, I find Alaska so intriguing. I would love to go there one day. Um, but I wonder, like you mentioned Scott Gomez and, and here in New York, we had Brandon Dubinsky with the Rangers. Uh, obviously Islander fans remember someone who I absolutely love, Nate Thompson. Uh, I had the opportunity to met, meet Matt Carl years ago. Uh, guys like Joey Crabb, Tim Wallace, and I'm sure you can name a bunch more guys here. I kind of feel like you guys have like this brotherhood, this Alaskan sort of brotherhood, because you were you were raised in in this environment that really, I, I mean, you could say places like Minnesota or or just like Wisconsin, but even just temperature aside, Alaska really is an entity to itself. Am I on to something here where I just kind of feel like you guys have this bond that someone that's not from Alaska could never have? I, I always like having to revisit this because you know obviously the first things first you know when you talk about you know being from the moon like if you look at a map i mean it, it would seem as if we are from the moon we're just so far away from just the greater united states uh, for instance but there was a period in time where we had four first round draft picks in consecutive years uh with ty jones scott parker uh scott gomez and then barrett heiston all obviously big time hockey players. I mean, being drafted in the, in the first round. So what happened was, I think, you know, people can obviously question me or debate it. Um, you know, there's nothing negative here. It's anybody's opinion, but I feel what happened is a lot of us younger guys that came on afterwards, you know, especially after Barrett and guys like Mike Lee and Scott Gomez is it, it, it raised awareness. It heightened the obvious, like, wow, like you can be a big time hockey player from Anchorage. And uh, so it just it brought a spotlight. I think I think uh, people who are recognizing these talents of these these guys I just mentioned. I mean, first and foremost, when you start with with Scott Parker, who I've never actually he won't remember this because he was a big time NHLer, but he came to our our, our hotel when uh, Calgary was playing Colorado and said hello to us <clears throat> when we were in the midget tournament there. But someone I haven't got a chance to really kind of formally meet, but just a larger than life T Rex legendary kind of figure where before he really was known up here locally for his exploits, he had kind of left and then created this, this, uh, this reputation that was obviously awesome. Yeah. Um, and he was a, he was a bad ass dude, like a, like a, like a knock your teeth out, scary person. Uh, that was obviously a really effective, good hockey player. And then after that, another big time guy named Ty Jones, who was, you know, uh, same ilk, you know, big, strong, scary, uh, kind of guy that not only could he, you know, hold you accountable, you know, physically, but scored goals and was known for, you know, being a guy who could uh, fill the net up and, and, and was hard to play against. Mm-hmm. And then you have Scott Gomez, who was just like, uh, absolutely amazing, you know, like you just take your breath away just at, at, at how, like, he, he was unstoppable, you know, uh, and then, of course, the world got to see, you know, him carrying the puck up the ice for for 16 years in, in the NHL. So I think we all kind of 
we got to see this, and it just like I said, it, it took it brought a spotlight, I think, more on Anchorage, and then you had guys like Matt Carl and Tim Wallace and Joey Crab and Jason Risner and Joey Hope, and all these guys were getting uh, picked for this USA team and drafted, of course, and going to big time schools, and so then it kind of created a an environment of uh, well, I, I think uh, I want to be big time. I want to be going places. It looks like looks like even though we're from up here, you you still can. Which is huge, yeah. absolutely huge. When when you, when you can see it and see that it's true, and then I think just we were all kind of clustered in the same age group, and so we we knew each other. We were skating up, we were skating with each other in the summertime. Um, we were working out in the same gym. Um, you know, obviously with Scott Gomez being at the you know at the at the top, uh, I don't think anybody had any aspirations of you know thought they were going to be like Scott Gomez, right. <laughs> but. Want, guys wanted to play in the NHL, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to be professionals. And, and for me, you know, I wasn't anybody that people were getting excited about, and, but I was still a part of this, this group socially um, and athletically, if you will, in terms of skating, working out with, playing against, you know, going down to the, 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 our, our, the city haunts that uh, like to, uh, show up show up on the weekends you know and have a good time and so like you know some of these bigger cities like when you mentioned uh, minnesota and boston and chicago and detroit you know a lot of these guys don't know each other mm-hmm. i mean obviously guys know each other but yeah. you know what i mean these are big cities and different uh, suburbs or whatever but here in alaska we were all very from each other and so i think what it did is i think it pushed people really uh, it pushed people to uh, get to levels that you know who knows otherwise may have not if, if if not for the timing and, and how special hockey was around here. You know what the cool thing is hearing you talk about these guys that you're talking about and bringing up guys like Ty Jones and, and Parker, because I've had the opportunity to meet both of those guys. Um, but the cool thing is now you're talking about those guys sort of basically paving the way for someone like yourself. And from what Turbo has told me, you are like that now with the youngsters in Alaska because he basically said you're like the rock. You're like the people's hockey player to these young kids now. So the cool thing is these young kids now, if they make it to any point in their career, they're going to mention some of those players maybe, but they're also going to mention someone like yourself to to help pave the way for them. So I think that's pretty cool. I, uh, uh, tickles me to even think about something like that being true. Um that maybe I've done something that, that kids think is special um, because I, for a long time, benefited greatly from these guys acknowledging me, you know, the guys that were older. And then, of course, you know, just being able to be hang out with these guys that were, you know, uh, these guys that were really going places, you know, you know, the, the, the Carls, the Thompsons, the Gomez, the Krabs, the Dubinskys or whatever. These guys all treated me like a friend and, uh, you know, I, I benefited greatly from getting to be around them. It's awesome. That's why I said it. It seems like you Alaska guys, you have like this little brotherhood and, and you see it a little bit here on the Island. I mean, everyone, you know, New York is obviously a big place, but I know like the long Island hockey, youth hockey scene, um, everybody kind of knows everybody here. And if, and if it's someone that's a, a prospect or something like that, or the coaches, it's, it's, it's a pretty tight knit community here with the youth hockey here on long Island. So it sounds very similar to the Alaska scene. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So, uh, as I look back on your high school stats here, obviously I don't have the penalty minutes, but, uh, I'm looking at your last two years in high school, 
uh, 44 points in 20 games and uh, 46 points in 18 games. So uh, what kind of a high school player were you? Um, that was, that was for me, that was a lot of these big time guys, you know, these guys that were like really promising hockey players, they had left, you know, cause they were playing juniors as a junior in high school or a senior in high school. Whereas for me, I was kind of, you know, if I was going anywhere, it wasn't going to be until after my, my senior year. Uh, so I was kind of a late bloomer, loved the game, obviously super just dedicated to it, you know, what, you know, shooting pucks, you know, lifting weights and things like that. And I went to a high school in town where, because there wasn't a lot of the, the uh, more prominent hockey players like a Service or a West or a Diamond, um, I got I got to play a you know prime role. Uh, and I've always thought that you know I could make plays and uh, had good hands from just you know handling the puck a lot you know on my own, trying to be a better player. But I I, I got a chance to kind of play a, a primary role on those teams. Um, and so I got a lot of ice time, and, and anybody will tell you that, you know, the more ice time you get, the more chances there are fights at the apple, and and uh, I had some success. But I, I think I was, that, uh, again, we'll probably hit this a lot, is uh, just very fortunate that I've had opportunities like this to uh, to grow and uh, get better and develop, whereas, you know, if I was in another situation, I may have never gotten that chance. I mean, these other high schools, they had enough players to where they actually cut, they actually cut kids. Whereas at my high school, we didn't have enough players. You know, we, we were lucky to even field a varsity and a JV wow, you know, okay. in one given year. Yeah. So wow. very lucky. So was it your senior year that um, you played 18 games and then you ended up playing for the Bozeman Ice Dogs? Uh, I, I actually finished my senior year playing on the, 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 the midget team, okay. the All-Stars and East, East High. And the next year, I, uh, you know, went to try to play for the the big bad Vernon Vipers, okay. the BC Hockey League, and uh, you know, obviously that I think they're they're coming off a national championship, not just the the league title, but the national championship. So a very good team, mm-hmm. very hard team to make. Um, and so I had, I played junior B mm-hmm. uh, in Enderby, and I think I got to play four games that year with mm-hmm. Vernon. Not enough to have anybody, I guess, to you know track to, yeah. track those uh, <laughs> stats. Um, but then the coach, I had a really great relationship with a guy named Troy Mick, and uh, you know, cared about me. And and there was there's there's these different deadlines in those back then. I don't know if they still have them where they have to cut down to so many players. And so there was a couple other local guys that were unfortunately not going to make the cut for this certain deadline in December. And so he released them to go play for the uh, Bozeman Ice Dogs in the uh, America West, or what used to be called the Frontier League. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really just think he genuinely cared about me. He liked me. Um, I wasn't going to play a role, or I wasn't going to be a part of their plans with the uh, A team, the Vernon Vipers. And uh, the coach had asked, "Can you send, you know, Justin with 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 the with Phil and Corey too?" And and uh, luckily he he obliged. And so I went with these guys and, you know, got to play uh, the second half of the season there and, you know, play play every night and got a chance to have a good year. Uh, one of the guys you played with there, I believe you were a teammate of his a few years later, uh, Brett Henley. What do you remember about playing with Brett Henley? Um, that, was, uh, that was my first introduction to, like, wow, this guy's huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And not only is he not only is he huge, but uh, had a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you know, being from Alaska, I've, I've had my fill of you know personalities, right? You know, uh, guys just you know just larger than life and hilarious, and you know, you know, like to rock and roll on and off the off the rink. But this guy was like just he, just he was at six foot six or six seven, um, smart ass, super witty, um, you know, actually bright. Yeah, you know, like you know, uh, very articulate and you know engaging, and I think for him at that point in his junior career, he was kind of coming down a couple levels mm-hmm. to play with us in Bozeman. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he probably was obviously pretty confident and comfortable uh, with us. But uh, a guy that uh, you know I, I, I liked, and uh, I actually got to play with him the following year in Langley. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was nice to to maintain or have that connection when I when I was in Langley. But yeah, no, the very very uh, very solid guy, big defenseman. Now, is it safe to assume when you were in high school you wore full cage? Yes. And then how? What was it in the Frontier League? Was it cages, visors, or or what? Visors, um, but we have. Had a lot of guys from Minnesota, so there's fair fair amount of cages, if you know what I mean. I don't yeah. mean to, I don't mean to be, I don't, but you know, I just got to say it. It's it's the truth. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, um, is this where you uh, you encountered your first uh, first round of fisticuffs here? I see that you had 61 pims in 39 games. Uh, that odd number at the end of that penalty minute total leads me to believe you may have gotten in at least one. Yeah, no, I, that started in training camp that year in the BC League in Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually broke my hand um, the year the year prior, where they brought me to camp just to come to camp, mm-hmm. just as an inter- just as an introduction mm-hmm. in their junior hockey. So I came back that first year just ready to go, mm-hmm. and so that was my first chance to kind of have a few fights, and then obviously playing in the junior B league, which was really rough. Uh, they called it the the jungle, actually. Jungle, yeah. Uh, yeah, the KIJHL. Um getting to play the first few months of that year in, in Canada and then coming into, you know, American junior league where, where fighting was, 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 was definitely a part of the game, but not quite mm-hmm. as part of the game. So, you know, I kind of came, came into that league as like, you know, let's get it on. So, yeah. uh, but you have fewer takers and, um, you know, and I'll admit it, like, you know, I'm still only 18. Yeah. Uh, and, I would love to say I've always been this like fearless, like crazy, uh, super anxious to get in fights uh, kind of player. But I still, you know, I wasn't, you know, the biggest guy in the rank. I wasn't still filling out my T-shirts the way, you know, I'd want to be. Um, so, you know, there was a fair bit of fear there. Um, but usually in, in the end, as overcome that fear because that just the thought of you know getting punked or uh you know not showing up or not answering the bell when there's clearly a chance to and you're an honest guy and you know the whole rink can see it um you know so i've never let myself not you know i've never let myself be guilty of uh not answering that bell or that call when called upon so that that is the kind of the first year where i really you know it became part of my game. I, I you know, honestly, I, I, 
I've been fortunate enough to to meet a ton of you guys in my life, and I think uh, I think your your honesty there is I've heard that from most of the guys. I think it's it's sort of like you know the bar you know you go to a bar situation and it's usually the guy that's all super confident, loudmouth, cocky. That's the one guy you don't have to worry about. So you pl- you have that fear. I think it's a natural thing, and usually the guy running around like uh, he's got a big mouth or something like that. That's usually the guy you don't have to worry about. Yep, and uh, I, I just—I'm sure you feel the same way, Joe. It, like, man, if we knew what we know now, then man, we'd we'd be so much further ahead. Oh yeah, Absolutely. in terms of uh, you know, you know, life choices. But I, I think just reading human nature. But I think me, me being someone who was afraid uh, and was honest about you know being, you know, at that time probably five nine, five nine and a half, maybe one seventy five on a good day, one eighty, like you know. Uh, I had I had good reason to fear some of these guys, you know, because some of these guys were twenty, you know, and they had beards, and you know, I, I, uh, you know, I still had part of my character. I wanted to be, you know, cute with the girls and things like that, and I wasn't wasn't I wasn't looking, I wasn't trying to be toe for toe, Tony, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there there was there was a lot of mental stuff uh, I learned I was learning to handle and deal with that I think definitely helped on later on. I, I think the mental aspect of that, of the role is, is way more intricate than the physical aspect of it, because you can learn, you can learn how to fight, whether you're good at it or not is another story. Guys can learn how to fight, but if your head's not in the right space, if you, if you don't have the right mentality or any number of things it doesn't matter how tough you are if your head's not in if your head's not into it your head's not there you could be the baddest dude on the planet and it, it's not going to make a difference the the, men, the mental side of it is is to me more important than the physical side of it yep yep and and, and you and i at this point we've watched so many fights mm-hmm. um you just <sighs> respect everybody but you can tell when some guys just weren't ready yeah um and uh you know it's not a smudge it's not a, a smudge on your record or anything but um it it, it is it's definitely a thing to, to, to watch somebody who's just not all the way into it mm-hmm. and maybe have a lesser guy maybe have a you know maybe not get someone's honest um abilities that night and, and then you know you don't know what guys are going through and uh, and, and a lot of times you find out the guys had injuries mm-hmm. they're dealing with, or, or they got their bell rung the night before, or uh, retired, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, all things I learned from watching watching these fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much that goes into the role. It's just it. I think the average fan just just sees you know well not so much anymore even but the average fan just goes out and sees two guys throwing hands but you know there's i always say that you know you know not to really veer off the topic here but um just talking about guys with you know if this guy's um in a slump or that guy's you know not performing well whether it's fighting or goal scoring whatever and i'm first thing i always say is it it may not be anything hockey related. Like the guy's married with two kids. He might be going through something at home. We all have stuff going on, no matter what our job is. And it's always amazing to me that not that anyone needs to pry, but it's just like, Hey, could that be it? Maybe he's, 
perfectly fine physically or whatever, but you know, maybe his wife's going through something or his kid is sick. And I, you know, I, I always say like, sometimes I think the average fan and especially the younger fans today, I think look at athletes as the guys that they play in the video games and you know, it, it, it really, I don't want to say it annoys me, but it fucking annoys me, you know, when I, I hear this stuff and, you know, but, but again, I, I guess, I, you know, one thing I always say to my wife is you can't expect other people to have the same uh, attitude or work ethic or whatever phrase you want to put in as you do. And I, I guess I can't expect people to actually realize that the guys you're watching on TV are human and uh, they have human stuff going on like we all do. But, you know, like I said, there's so much that goes into it. And I, I think sometimes people don't realize it. And, and Joe, that's, it's, it's a real thing. Uh, there's breakups. Um, you know, not everybody's girlfriend's living with them on the road, you know, as they're, as they're going along this, this journey. And these are tough things to, to have to reconcile or, or, or deal with, you know. Um, sometimes you're, you're feeling conflicted about, like, man, what am I still doing here? I don't know if this is ever going to even amount to anything. And uh, maybe I haven't built enough rapport yet with my teammates to really find that inner energy I need to really kind of come out here and, and really give her. In this, in these kind of encounters, um, knowing now, either you've got guys that maybe came out, and maybe got a bite of the apple right away, and maybe got sent down, um, and they're still trying to, you know, trying to overcome maybe that disappointment, you know, and, and maybe feeling like, you know, what am I doing here? I don't want to have to fight this guy. Whereas you got these young, hungry lions that are just so desperate and eager uh, to to have you know, that kind of success or, 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 you know, somehow find their way on uh, up top. And, uh, you know, now when you and I watch any kind of football documentary or any kind of documentary and you talk about what these athletes kind of would, you know, create these, the, these, uh, these false realities maybe in their head to, to kind of be able to get to that place. And, uh, that's not something everybody can do. I mean, you'd like to think that you can, but, you know, sometimes, Sometimes you, you you can find it and, and, and you're you're hip to it enough at the right time, and then sometimes, unfortunately, like that, that's a Joe. Like it, it is a real thing, and I feel like I've witnessed a lot of that, um, where it, it was tough for guys to, to go there sometimes, and, and it showed. Well, I mean, if you look at your career, like we're going to go through here now, uh, you played in a lot of cities in a lot of dressing rooms. So, I mean, it's probably an understatement to say that you've seen a lot of it and and maybe even experienced some of it yourself. It would only be natural, you know. So, uh, but, you know, like I said, I, I always feel, especially with the advent of social media, um, you know, you read some of the stuff that people just put out there and I'm like, holy fuck, you just don't have any idea. But uh, but that's that's another show. We could go on for hours mm -hmm. about the stupidity on social media, but I'll try to reel myself back in here. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the following season uh, you were uh, in Langley. Now, did you start the year in Langley or did you start the year in Danville? No, I went back to uh, try to get back on that Vernon team and they had kind of changed coaches. And uh, obviously, you know, people have different ideas about who they want on their hockey teams and I understood that, and so I was lucky enough that the Dan, the Langley coach was familiar with me from some of these uh, showcase camps that that happen locally in the summer times. So I went there, um, but the whole time I was there, at that point, at two years in that league, where you know I'm obviously not local, and uh, so you you get some of that natural paranoia about like, am I ever really going to be treated or or 
um, promoted. Uh, if, if I'm not, you know, one of the stars, um, am I going to be given a, a good, a good fair shake in terms of being promoted for the next level, which for me was, you know, playing U S college hockey. Mm -hmm. And so I'd had enough kind of adversity to where, you know, you're starting to kind of answer the phone, the phone calls, because everyone's trying to kind of put together their team. And in this, this particular time, uh, Danville was still trying to, you know, kind of come to come up with their, with what they wanted to, you know, have going into that season. And I was lucky enough that they, they wanted to bring me in and, and told me a lot of things I like to hear. Uh, I, I, I felt like uh, you know, I could trust what uh, Josh Murmurs was telling me and uh, the story that he had to tell about his team and where he thought I fit in. And so I, I just took that leap of faith and, and got on a plane and at the time felt like I was doing something that was best for me, um, if you will. Now the, the coaches in Langley didn't really take it that well. And, um, they actually had a connection to Scott Gomez because Coach Lance coached Scott Gomez in Tri Cities, and you know I'm not, I'm not the hockey player Scott Gomez is, and he, and he, he tells me, you know, right to my face, he says, "What is good enough for Scott Gomez? What's not good enough for you?" What? And uh, that was, you know, I, I mean, he's not lying, you know. I, yeah. I like it's tough to hear that, but it's also tough when you're a kid and you're talking to an adult that's got a great hockey pedigree and he's done a lot for in the game and, and he's, and he's trying to give you his side of why he thinks you should stay. And you're just like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks, but you don't really like saying no thanks, obviously like that. And so it was a hard conversation for me to have. And I think I grew up a lot that day. Um, cause I knew I was disappointing some, somebody that was good to me because, uh, my time in Langley was, they were very good to me. Anything that they said they were going to do for me, they did put me in a nice billet house. Um, I was playing again there, Brent Henley, and I was outside of Vancouver, which is super exciting. Being a kid from Alaska, being so close to a big city like that, and uh, so it, it was a tough choice, but one that felt right. Well, when you got to Danville, you obviously clicked. You had thirty-six points in forty-one games, uh, sixty-five penalty minutes. Uh, one of the guys you shared a dressing room with was Bryce Charpentier. Uh, what are your memories of playing with Bryce? Just a, a really big, nice kid. Um, you could tell he wanted to play the role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He wanted to be a big, hard-to-play-against, hard-nosed, mean kid um, that meant well. Uh, he was obviously very familiar with some of the other guys on the team. Um, so, you know, he, he was a guy who wanted to be there, I could tell, too. And, and you know, he was a bigger guy, so obviously there was some awkwardness that he had to work his way through. But I have nothing but uh, good memories uh, of him. Uh, while I was there. And uh, so obviously there's no real video that I could have watched, but I did uh, see a couple of names in the top 10 penalty minutes that, well, one of them, I know the even the average fan's going to know Cam Jansen, who was in the league playing for St. Louis, and maybe some of us fight nerds. Uh, we know the name George Cantrell, who uh, split the year between St. Louis and Springfield. Now, uh, do you happen to have any run-ins with either one of those guys? Yes, and this is a true story, and uh, you know, I def it definitely deserves to be given its its, its credence and respect. Here is uh, I'm not even sure Cam Jansen. I mean, there's no reason why he would remember me, you know, or, or be familiar that I was that I played against him unless he looks at the years in the DB. But I remember walking into that building in St. Louis, Chester Chesterfield. It's like a suburb. Yep. It's where the blue. It's where the Blues had their facility, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
right away you walk in and there's this smaller guy that if, if not being from a big city, New York, Chicago, Detroit, you know, looked like a real wise guy, yeah. like leather jacket, his hair slicked back, almost like he was setting the tone for his son. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. kind of staring us down, talking, talking loud. Um, I think was probably familiar with some of the guys on our team because of the St. Louis and, and Chicago. Cause we had a lot of kids from Chicago on the team that year, you know, TI young, you know, Chicago, young Americans. And, uh, you know, I knew his son, I think was 15 or turning 16. He may, he, I think I, I'm pretty sure he was an underage kid playing. Uh, if you look at the years, I, I haven't looked at that closely, but I think it's, I think he was 15 okay. and his, his son was out there scaring the hell out of people. Um, wanted all the smoke. Uh, if you will. And so yeah. that was my first time I ever saw Cam Jansen. And uh, he, he, he was he was every bit that guy uh, from age 15 on. So uh, I thought it was worth talking about that because it, it's the truth. It certainly sounds like him, doesn't it? I mean, he's he has that um, aura, let's say, right? He's not uh, yep. he's not shy. You know, and uh, well, even if he doesn't remember you from back then, I'm sure he'll remember you from uh, from the bout you had with him later on in the exhibition. But we could we'll get cool. into that later. You know, and, and, and real, real quick too, Joe, I, don't, I yeah. hope I don't mess you up. I hope you remember what you were going to say. But yeah, I mean, he may he may have been the first guy I played against who I looked at who was honestly out there trying to start shit. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he was out there to intimidate. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely remember them. Definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Hey, listen, you know, you go with, you go in any direction right now, man, this is your interview. Anything comes to mind, you just spit it out. I don't care. I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah. I, and obviously I don't know you that well, but I, I, I think I can, I'm a pretty good judge of character. And, um, I see that this season you won the uh, the League Community Service Award. And even though I don't know you that well, I get the feeling that that's something that's very important to you. Yeah, I uh, I was I was out of high school at that time. I was 19 years old. And um, the team had been very good to me as far as things they had, you know. They had done things where I think they went above and beyond to make me comfortable there. And so uh, I was eager to volunteer for certain things they had going on. Um, and my first year when I was gone and I was in Bozeman living with my good friend Corbin Schmidt, you know, I just kind of palled around with him because there's a lot of people from Alaska that go to college in Bozeman at Montana State. And so I kind of already had like a thing in terms of like socially what was going on. So I wasn't really on my own. But this year in Danville, I was on my own for sure. Um, you know, I had some good relationship with some guys on the team, uh, Justin Chavis, uh, primarily. Um, but I mean, I still had, I still had a lot of spare time. And so, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't play video games, uh, you know, I, I didn't hate them, but I just wasn't interested in them. Um, and so I was, you know, looking for things to do. You can only practice so many hours in a day. And so uh, I got a lot of good experiences going to some schools and reading the kids. And uh, I did some stuff with some some kids with special needs where it's a real struggle for me emotionally. Um, and I think that's where I kind of tapped into maybe some of my character traits that I maybe wasn't quite familiar with. Because um, it, was, it was really hard to see kids struggling. 
um, I remember, and I'm sure everybody feels feels the same way. But I remember that was my first time having it confronted, and uh, it, it it definitely um, opened up another side of me in terms of uh, you know what what could I do, what could I do to try to you know make this 15 or 20 minutes I'm right here right now uh, better for these people. So uh, yeah, it was it was nice to be recognized for that. That's awesome. Um, so the next year you find yourself in Omaha. Now, uh, the USHL has really grown. I mean, it's grown in leaps and bounds. It's, it's, it's legit now. Like it, it's recognized as a legit junior league. Um, how was the league back then? I mean, we're, we're going back 20 years. Uh, and I don't know when it started, but, but, uh, I was, uh, was the league, I don't think it was considered as good as Canadian junior yet, but how was the league back then? If you were outside of major junior, you know, whether it be the Western Hockey League, the OHL, or the Quebec Major Hockey League, yeah, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, mm-hmm. the USHL was the preeminent tier two junior A league. It was, uh, it was, it was more highly regarded than the BC League, the SJ, the AJ, the the Ontario Provincial League. Uh, because these teams in the USHL were drawing from these provinces top, you know, obviously they weren't getting all of them because, you know, some of these teams like, you know, Chilliwack or Surrey and there's, I can go on and on. Yeah. We're probably still finding a way to kind of hold on to their better talent or whatever. But a lot of the big time guys that were, you know, maybe rated on the central scouting list were in the USHL. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause a lot of these schools, you know, obviously we're really familiar with some of these players in their 15, 16, 17, and, uh, you know, you had to be a special player to play in these uh, Division One college for a premier school at 18. And so a lot of these USHL teams, I think, were, uh, or I would say a lot of these colleges were funneling their high-end talent that was already committed mm-hmm. through the USHL before bringing them to uh, on campus. And so it was, it was the best league back then. And how did you end up in Omaha? Uh, a lot of uh, really, like, I would say the best hockey players coming out of Anchorage that played in the USHL played for the Omaha Lancers, you know, starting with uh, Brian Swanson and uh, uh, the Kowals. And uh, uh, there's a lot of names here. I'm going to forget, but, you know, players that I grew up looking up to, you know, Mike Victor's Bowman's um, these guys that when I when you're a little kid where the, I mean, they were, they were they were they were the guys. They were the rock stars here here in town. The names you saw in the paper for scoring in the high school games and whatnot. So uh, for me, I had a lot of my really good friends. Uh, you know, my best friend probably Jason Krischek was on the team or the year before, and so that coach was familiar with me from being on these teams with my buddies that had come through. You know, Daniel Hacker, Lee Green, uh, and so that that was really how I ended up on the team that year. Um, a couple of the names again not much USHL footage from there, but a couple of guys I noticed that were in the league that are known for their physical style. Uh, Tim Conboy was with Rochester and Topeka. And a guy you ran into later in the, in pro was Bobby Robbins, who was with Tri-City. Yep. Uh, any run-ins with either one of those guys or, or any, any memories really from the season in Omaha? Um, Bobby Robbins uh, definitely had, had developed a uh, reputation that year because Art Feminella, was a, like a six foot six, six foot seven guy in Sioux City, and I think the word got around the league that Bobby Robbins beat up Art Feminella. Okay, 
And I think Bobby Roberts is a left-handy left-hander like I was. Um, so he kind of, you know, he, he had a bit of a uh, reputation that year for being someone that you didn't want to trifle with at that level. Um, but uh, I wasn't, you know, Omaha was a very competitive team to be in the lineup with. I'm not sure how many games I actually suited up against Tri-Cities that year. Um, I had a fair share of nights that wasn't in the lineup, unfortunately. But, you know, that's how it is. And, and I, I learned a lot from, you know, not not have successfully found a way to have myself in the lineup every night. And then um, Tim Conboy was, uh, we played them earlier in the season, and I wouldn't even have known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't even have known that he was a badass. I, obviously, as the year went on, you, you heard about stories about him getting in trouble on and off the ice, and, and he was a bit of a, a wild boy. Um, but I, I, I never got that experience with him. Uh, but I definitely, as the year went on the year, I did hear about him. Uh, and I mean, I don't know, was he the biggest name in the league? Uh, I know even casual mainstream fans are going to know the name Thomas Vanek. Uh, he, was he by far the best player in the league back then? By far, by far. Um, we had, I don't know if you can tell, but we had the best record in the league that year. Um, got kind of upset in the final there with Sioux city, which is a huge letdown at the wrong time for us. But, uh, we pretty much had our way with every team in the league, but when we would play Sioux Falls, he would light us up. Yeah. And for me, I was just confused. Like, wow, this like, I haven't seen anybody really have any good success uh, against our team. But, uh, man, he was he was special, and you could tell. I mean, we're talking like out of nowhere, just go bar down and with ease. Um, you know, and you hear stories about, uh, you know, him being up all night, having a good time there in Sioux Falls with some of your friends that you – you know, from around the rinks and, and, you know, there's some local kids from Alaska on the team that year, but uh, definitely a guy who was uh, definitely thriving on talent, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, I'm sure obviously learned really good habits, you know, as he became a pro or whatever, but uh, he was just that good. Um, <laughs> right right now, level. right now, Islander fans are probably laughing because he was, he wasn't that great when he was here, to be honest. I think we all expected mm-hmm. a little bit more, but who am I to criticize? I'm sitting here in my basement. I'm not going to criticize a guy that could skate circles around me on his worst day. So, but, well, uh, And when he came over, he probably was already starting to put those years on his body because, like I said, he, he was known to be, you know, someone who uh, liked to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, always had a good reputation, I think, with his teammates. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think he had a bad reputation that way or whatever, but right. you know, he had fun he had fun with the boys, if you know what I mean. So oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that that professional I'm sure by the time he got to University of Minnesota he, he already knew how to hang out and put the beers down. <laughs> I bet. And so you had mentioned that year you actually had made it to the final and you lost game five in overtime. Now is that a best of five or or is it a that best was a, of Yeah, that was a best of five and okay. I actually turned twenty one on May 5th, and I, uh, one of those little things I'm proud of is I got I scored my last game in game two. And so then we had to go from, uh, after playing game two, we had to play the next two games in Sioux City, which is a really tough place to play. And by then I had kind of established myself as maybe a heavier player on the team. And so it, uh, I was definitely willing to play past my birthday, which would have cost me some of my eligibility. Um, but, you know, my case is being the, the man that he is wouldn't let me wouldn't let me do that. Um, and uh, we had a couple of tough games in Sioux City, uh, games three and four, and so it came down to a game five, and uh, they had some guys step up at the right time, and it, it was uh, probably the hardest loss I've ever endured as as an athlete. I mean, I was 
you know, I, a lot of these guys that grew up in Anchorage or Alaska that, that played for the Omaha Lancers won the Clark Cup, won the Anderson Cup. This, you know what I mean? And, and we'd won the Anderson Cup, but I wanted that Clark Cup. I wanted to say that I won with Omaha too. And we, uh, you know, came up short. Gosh, it was super disappointing. It hurts even thinking about it right now because uh, it was such a good year. Um, I felt like I was, you know, in the best league on the best team and, you know, felt good about myself and where I was at in the game and excited about what the future might hold for me. Cause I had an idea already where I was probably going to go the next year to play. So, uh, yeah, it was a bummer. Bummer. Sorry to bring that up. Yeah, no, no, but it's, <laughs> like I said, we got to tap into these places every now and then. And, and, uh, you know, remember what got you there. So, Season's over now. Now, do you have to start making decisions? Are you going to continue playing uh, junior? Or did you always want to go to college? What was your thought process? Definitely always wanted to go to college. And that year I aged out uh, during that okay. playoff round. So I was now 21. And so now it was, okay. you know, put put up or shut up, you know, and I kind of had already kind of had a, a chance to be a, a, a walk-on at the local school here at UAA. I recruited a walk-on, if you will, is what they called it back then where it's like, we want you in the team, but we're not giving you any money. Okay. You know, and you have a chance to earn some money, but you're going to have to prove it, right? And, and I totally get that, because yeah. if you're bringing a player that's most likely a fringe player, you know, maybe like a, a utility or, or, or what do you call it, role player. Yeah. I'm forgetting some of my lingo here. Uh, oh. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would run those teams the same way, you know, with a player like me coming in with if I wasn't going to be a guy that you could, you thought that had potential to make a difference in the score sheet and, and, and actually, you know, play a big role in you like winning ho- or getting over the top and winning hockey games, I, I would do the same thing. And, and I felt like he was always fair of me as John Hill was the coach. And so, uh, but, you know, I, I was fortunate. I was going to go home and, you know, have a chance to live at home or live with a buddy and uh, play for the hometown team. So I, I still had a lot to be excited for at that point. And was that always the plan, uh, you know, provided you didn't light it up and get signed to a pro deal? Uh, was that the plan to, to go to college, but to go home to go to college? Uh, obviously, like anybody, you know, I, I, you, know, you want to go to Maine, you want to go to yeah. Michigan, you want to go to Denver, you want to go to St. Cloud State, yeah, you, know, yeah. you want to go to, you know. Um, but back then, we were still in the best league, mm-hmm. um, the WCHA, which at yeah. that point still had the better teams in major division one college hockey. Yeah. So I was still quite proud and privileged to be able to play on my local team. And so it was always something that I, that I, it was always something that I wanted. Um, you know, the, the whole big timer thing that exists in all of us, you know, wanted to have, wanted to say, Hey, I could go to a big time school, but you know, deep down realistically, like, uh, you know, I, I knew that playing for the, my hometown team was my destiny, you know, if, if I was to be fortunate enough. And so I was, uh, for me, I, I wasn't disappointed, not one bit. I was super excited to be on uh, the UAC Wolves, now you're which a is a team that I grew up, it's, it's a team I grew up, you know, watching and, mm-hmm. and, and hoping someday I'd be on the team. So, so yeah. You're walking on, so you're not even a, you're not a lock to make the team, correct? I mean, I assume there were other guys walking on as well. Well, you, you're on the team, mm-hmm. but uh, you know your your spot in the lineup is 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 definitely okay. in question. Okay, <laughs> you know, like it, it's not guaranteed, and uh, basically means no one really has uh, a lot of excitement or or sees much potential in you playing a a, a prominent role. 
mm-hmm. week in and week out. So that's kind of how I came in, you know, just happy to be on the team and let's see what happens. And, you know, when I was researching this, I don't, I don't follow college hockey at all. I mean, obviously everybody knows that the powerhouse schools, I mean, your conference was, was ridiculous. I mean, the teams that you had to play against um, that first year, you guys went one, your first year, one twenty-eight and seven. Uh, the competition you guys played was was insane. I mean, but uh, was that a tough? Uh, so on one hand, you're happy you're you're at the next level. You're playing for your hometown team. You're playing big time college hockey. On the other hand, you you won one game out of thirty-six. Is, was that a tough year? Uh, I mean, how do you how do you reconcile the the joy of being on the team, but the the tough record and the tough season? That was that was a year where. Um, I think I, I, I had to learn a lot of honesty. I mean, I think I've always been honest, but I think I had to learn a lot more humility and honesty in, in terms of like, you know, I couldn't get too excited about what I was doing because to be honest with you, like I knew that I was lucky to be on the team. I knew that I wanted to be in a lineup. I didn't want to be one of those players that got left at home, but some guys said, you know, like, like, like it sure happens every year, you know, people get in trouble for um, drinking in the dorm or, being late to a class or late to a workout. Um, you know, I won't say his name, but he's coaching the NHL right now. I was, I definitely benefited from a mistake that he made and, uh, helped elevate me into a, maybe a higher spot in the lineup a lot sooner than I may not, or a lot sooner than I may, may have otherwise. If that mm-hmm. sounds right. I don't know if my grammar is good there, nope. but, um, Perfect. and then there was a book scandal where, I'm pretty sure it happens at all schools, but you know, you, you, you buy books or, you know, you get books bought for you on, on scholarship. And, and what these guys have done is they have taken their books back to be sold or resold yeah. or whatever. And they got, and they got the money for it, which is a huge no, no, I guess, in division one sports. Okay. And so almost the whole team had done that, but because I wasn't on scholarship and I was on student loan, I wasn't a part of that whole book bracket, okay. so I didn't I didn't get in trouble. And so what happened? What meant was they couldn't suspend the team at, all at once, mm-hmm. and so they had to uh, stagger everybody's suspensions. Okay, which obviously I would think helped uh, helped me, you know, have more chances to level myself in the lineup. Yeah, on that team, and so it was tough losing because uh, on any on any night, Friday or Saturday, depending on how they were organizing the suspensions, um, you know, we were going at it against the best teams in college hockey and not yeah. with our full complement of, uh, you know, having our better players always available. So we struggled. Um, you know, there was monsters in the league like Tom Pricing and Peter Senya and Thomas Vanek and, and Troy Riddle and uh, some of the big-time Wisconsin guys like Tom Gilbert. Um, I'm not sure if Kowalski was in the team that year yet or not. But there was, a you know, Zach Parise was in the league that year. Brandon Bochinski, uh, Denver had some studs in the team. And so that was a tough year. And, um, but at the same time, you want to feel good about yourself because you're getting to play. And that's all you wanted was to play. And you want to have a chance to earn a scholarship. But it wasn't like you could, you know, go run, run around tooting your horn because you weren't scoring a bunch of goals. But for me, you know, my goal of being in the lineup and not missing a road trip and skating in every game, um, you know, was, was something that I was proud of. You know, but like I said, you couldn't be too proud of it because we weren't very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't a lot of fun. Right. So um, for me, I, it probably lent itself to things being a lot harder than they would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. 
because, you know, practices were tough, workouts were tough. Um, you know, nobody's going to let you get away with thinking uh, that uh, things were uh, nice and easy and, and club med by any means. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a hard year. It was a good year, but it was a hard year, um, and I think I learned a lot. How good was Curtis Glencross? Really good. Like, amazing. Like, yeah. couldn't believe he was on the team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, like, like you know, you, you, don't know you, you don't know any better when you don't know, yeah. uh, when you haven't even played at that level yet. And I would say the first, I don't know how many weekends into the season, like, I was just like, this guy could skate like the wind, great hands, big shot, uh, had a lot of moxie, a lot of sh- natural swagger. You know, uh, was a really good hockey player. You know, he scored forty-five goals as a, you know as a junior player coming yeah. into the league. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're playing against these big-time teams, you know, if you're being honest, Curtis could have played on any of those teams, mm-hmm. and easily been on their top two lines. Yep. Uh, so that was a huge coup uh, for UAA to have a guy like that in the team. Like that, it can't be understated. Like he he was amazing. I mean, you saw him lasted two years and he was out of there. So, and I think I I would think what makes him what makes what he did even more amazing is he's got to be the focal point of the other team. You know, the other team's got to focus on him, and he's still putting up points. He's still doing phenomenal things. Yeah, and he and he did it because he 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 could play at tremendous pace, mm-hmm. like just fast, um, strong, good shot. Um, played well with uh, some guys on the team that you had a little bit of skill, Chris Fournier and Aless Perez and uh, took care of himself. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I don't think he had any kind of really major injuries mm-hmm. that he had to ever deal with. So I think it allowed for him to get confident, get consistent. And I don't, I don't think he was ever not rolling. Yeah. His whole two years there. He was, he, he was, he was spectacular, honestly. Your second year, uh, you're joined by a player who spent some time in Bridgeport and uh, for Islander fans of a certain age, we, we know his father. Uh, Justin Bourne, what do you remember about playing with Justin? Um, really, really bright um, guy. Um, great personality. Uh, had a smile on his face. Um, could talk about anything. Um, definitely confident, uh, yeah. which, you know, every, when everyone's kind of fighting for their yeah. their place, you know, I think, I think of some guys um, – took that as a, you know, a being cocky or arrogant, but, you know, you know, I, I think I know now that that was not at all what he was. He just, um, just very, very comfortable in his skin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, def- definitely knew who he was and, um, knew what he felt about a lot of things. I think it was, it was, it was, uh, here I am at 41. You think about, you know, where he'd been in life, you know, being a dual citizen and, um, he had a, a brother that was handicapped, and so he was very mature coming in as a freshman mm-hmm. and had dealt with some really real, real things uh, in life. And then was talented, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably, probably, aside from Curtis, the best goal scorer that I played with at UAA. Um, could play with pace, great hands. Um, uh, strong kid, great skater, and uh, but 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 also you know I, I think uh, came came into college with the right with the right with the right attitude. You know I, I think I think there's a lot of things I didn't get out of college that I think he did. Okay. 
you know what I mean, in terms of the whole experience, you know, yep. scholastically and athletically. And uh, for, for people listening, Justin, uh, I, be- I don't think it's out yet. Uh, if it's not out yet, it's coming out soon. Justin wrote a book um, where I think he's very open about a lot of stuff that he's dealt with, including his sobriety, which is, which he's uh, continued sobriety right now. And uh, I think he, uh, from what I've gathered, he really opens up a lot in the book. So I would encourage everybody to, uh, and I'm, course all the prep i do i don't have the name of it but i would definitely check out uh and look for justin justin's book that's coming out it sounds like it's going to really really be a good read and uh so jj i reached out to justin to ask him uh what he remembers most about playing with you and i think you i would imagine you're going to get a laugh about this and he told me to uh he said ask him about lemon boy in college it was a game we played after practices that was just a shootout but it has a loser bracket too, and the loser had to eat a lemon, whole, rind and all. JJ was excellent at breakaways, but I think I remember him losing the shootout one practice and either throwing up, try to eat it, or refusing. God, I can barely remember now, and I just remember dying laughing. So uh, so do you remember Lemon Boy? Yeah, I think I remember Lemon Boy, and I, I think it was one of those moments where I was just like, you know, I wasn't maybe in touch with being hardcore. Mm-hmm. Or as hardcore as I should have been, uh-huh. or maybe maybe upset about you know the, the way everything went down that day in practice or whatever. Um, but uh, no, and and having a guy like Justin there to you know, he was just he was just so witty, so smart, great personality. Uh, I, I think it was it was a matter of just like you know I probably needed I probably needed someone to kind of hold me accountable. And him, him being a younger guy, I think he definitely gave it to me and uh, definitely shamed me into uh, holding up my end of the bargain, I think, um, that day. Did you and, eat uh, it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did it come up? Uh, I don't know if it came up. I can't remember if it came up or not because I kind of have a steel stomach. I don't okay. get seasick, and I've never really, I don't really get sick from drinking or whatever. But uh, I, I think my reaction to <laughs> try to get it down yeah. was probably probably a little over dramatic uh <laughs> but you know i i did it did what i had to do i think i'm, pre- I'm pretty sure justin was the one who had to kind of lay the law down in terms of uh reminding me what this what, what was customary was you know. was there someone on the team that lost a lot that was eating lemons like once or twice a week <sighs> well surprisingly curtis would lose sometimes really yeah because he just did things so hard that sometimes maybe he lacked a little bit of finesse needed or whatever. And I think everybody expected him to, you know, not struggle in that way. I mean, he, maybe he put too much pressure on himself, but, uh, you know, he was ne- definitely not the worst or whatever, but I do remember him having some funny, some funny afternoons or, or mornings, um, with that game. But, you know, we had, some, we had some defensemen that definitely weren't, uh, um, gifted, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, one-on-one with the goalie, but, yeah, it was a fun game. It, it's a game everyone plays. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, just and another thing about Borden is I got to play with him in pro. Yep. In Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. but then at the end of when I got to play hockey, he was there as a video coach. Okay. And then just having him kind of share with me some things, I I could tell you I never had any idea, any idea that that was a thing for him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so it just makes me just even more impressed. Mm-hmm with how he managed and dealt with those things. Uh, Cause he was by no means um, someone who I ever thought ever, ever had trouble being professional. 
yeah. and uh, being what you expected him or needed him to be, you know, in terms of uh, showing up and, and being a hockey player. Well, he definitely wanted me to say hello to him. Hello to yeah. you for him. And he yeah. said, he, and he said he misses you. Um, another thing he told me, and this goes back to what he said about you on breakaways. He said, he remembers you scoring an absolute huge goal in the playoffs on a breakaway against Wisconsin. I imagine you might remember this. Yeah, that was, I think the goal is still plays in the NHL. Elliot. Oh yeah. The blues last Yeah. It was, uh, I, I blacked out for a second. Okay. I, I blacked out and you know, there was uh, Pavelski was on the team and Robbie Earl and, uh, I think Tom Gilbert, I mean, they just had a stacked team. Like We really had no business beating them, but, you know, we, we had a solid team that year. Yeah. And I got a breakaway because uh, the defenseman hit me with a puck on the penalty kill. Yeah. And I and I went down there. I had no idea what I was going to do because I was skating <laughs> so fast mm-hmm. to just to even have the breakaway. And all I knew was to just kind of slap or smack the ice just to, just to whatever – and then just take a quick little wind-up, and I think the puck went back bar. So it went out just as fast as it went in. And it was like a, whoa. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the feedback I got from my coaches was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, they, they, they weren't expecting that. And I remember going to the handshake line with Mike Eves, who's obviously yeah. a tremendous hockey player, and had, his sons were awesome. Mm-hmm. I remember him grabbing a hold of my arm, um, shaking my hand and grabbing a hold of my arm and just pulling me in and be like, man, son, wow, that was a hell of a goal you scored That's amazing. the other day. And I was just like, wow, you know, to, to have him acknowledge that um, was, was pretty was, was pretty cool. Because uh, it, pro- it probably is the, the biggest, nicest goal I ever scored in terms of being meaningful. You got to still have goosebumps when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, great. no, I still – I remember all of it. I remember yeah. all of it. They, they actually do the um, – CrossFit games out of that building. Oh, okay, okay. In Madison, in Madison, Wisconsin, because there there was basketball going on in the Kohl Center. Okay. And so our our games got moved over to the older arena mm-hmm. uh, that year. Okay. Uh, your junior year, you were joined by another guy with uh, Islanders ties, Nathan Lawson. Uh, any memories of playing with Nathan? Uh, just a wild man. Yeah. <laughs> um, just hilarious. Um. Love to have a good time with the boys, but when it was time to play, man, he was very uh, serious. Um, you know, had some weird uh, pregame uh, rituals or habits. You know, he snorted icy hot. Um, he did something weird with his hair and his helmet that I that I found to be different. You uh-huh. know, just the way he would. You know, it was it was very dramatic. It was all very dramatic, but. Uh, probably the first goalie I remember playing with where I was like, wow, this, when, when it's time to play, this guy really gets into a zone. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, some guys are just kind of quiet and maybe quirky, whereas it was dramatic and it was very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, super talented. Um, obviously played in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, was a big reason why we won a lot of big hockey. He was the reason why we even had a chance to even beat Wisconsin. Okay. That year, he was just he was so dynamic uh, in net, but an absolute gamer, absolute gamer. Uh, I remember him fall. I, well, something that I found to be disgusting was he would fall asleep with uh, a chew in his mouth, mm-hmm. and like never in the world, never, mm-hmm. never, never, I would re- ever think yeah. that I would ever chew tobacco yeah. Yeah. and have a, and and fall asleep with it in my mouth. And I remember <laughs> he would do it often. I'd be like, geez, you know. <laughs> 
you know, um, but a good guy, got along with his teammates, um, uh, very competitive, um, and, and had a lot of fun with him. Had a lot of fun with him. The uh, that that's worth that's more disgusting than snorting the icy hot. Oh gosh, God! To, for to me, yeah, to me, yeah, because I wasn't, a, a, you know, I didn't chew tobacco, and, and when yeah. I did, it was always social, like we're on the river side of a river or something like that in Alaska somewhere. You know, I would go, all right, give me, give me some of that, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe on the bus, maybe you're having this intense conversation with a teammate in the back of a bus, and you're, you know, it's going to be a four to six hour bus ride. I might, but uh, you know, not something I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was something I did to, just as a way to be social when I did it. Um. All right, come clean now. Did you ever try to snort Icy Hot? You ever, no. boy, boys leave the dressing room, you, you're a little curious. You ever try to snort no. some Icy Hot? No, no. Okay. I mean, it was so pungent. I mean, what I would do is I, I hated my legs burning, so I'd rub it all over my quads uh-huh. before a game because I, I wanted that feeling of being, like, light and cool. Yeah. Um, so I would do that, which was, you might, may have found disgusting, was, you know, inflared the nostrils a bit, but. Yeah. No, I never even for a second thought about snorting that uh, in my nose. And I don't think anybody else did either. I don't think anybody tried it just to be just to be funny. I don't yeah. it was disgusting. <laughs> That's I don't know if, if you've ever heard of a guy, Jared Burnett, who unfortunately he he's no longer with us either. I, I knew him a while ago and he was uh he used to eat Flexol. So I think that is uh that's right mm-hmm. up there with the snorting yeah. of the icy hot. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. And back then, back then, that was when you guys were taking. We everybody had access to this pre-workout stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. and that stuff would just wreak havoc in your stomach. Yeah. And so for me, like I, you know, even though I wasn't like easily not easily nauseated by things, yeah, I was still had a sensitive sensitive uh, window. Of, you know, that ten to twenty or thirty minutes after you took that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where I didn't, I didn't really really feel comfortable putting anything in my body. So I definitely wasn't even thinking about doing something weird like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Senior year, uh, you got uh, Justin still there, Lawson still there. A guy that uh, has some uh, NHL time under his belt, Jay Beagle. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Jay? Hockey player. That's all I want to do is play hockey. Um, fun, fun-loving guy. Uh, didn't take himself too seriously. Um, you know, wanted to be a hockey player. Made it known, like, I'm a, hey, I'm not trying to be an engineer. Um, here, I just want to play hockey. My dad's a mechanic, and if I can't make this work, I'm just going to go home and be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, at that point, you know, you, you, that's not something you necessarily hear, especially at UAA, where not a, there's not a bunch of us with NHL prospects, if yeah. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a really good hockey player. Um, just play the whole game, impressive, uh, showed up every game. You couldn't help but uh, but uh, admire his abilities, for sure. Now, your senior year, uh, the team made a coaching change. You had uh, one coach for your all three of your first three years, and then uh, senior year they changed. Uh, John Hill was replaced by Dave uh, Shayak, if I'm saying his mm-hmm. name correctly. Yep. Uh, how, how did that affect you at all, if at all? Uh, it, it, it affected me a lot because John Hill was somebody I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the one thing that rescued or, or saved a lot of that season was the fact that uh, Jack Cole and Keith Morris were still there as the assistants, two people that I also had a personal relationship with way before playing at UA. Um, so it's your senior year. You want to have a good year. You want to keep things going. 
um, just in terms of whatever momentum you had built up till then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be in the lineup. You want to have a prominent role. And so I think at that point, you're just kind of in survival mode. And so you couldn't get a, you couldn't really afford to get too hung up on uh, the fact there was a different coach. Mm-hmm. And by then, by then, I thought I played a, a game that was pretty honest and, and, and consistent in terms of what was expected of me. Uh, I hated to see Coach Hill go. Hated it. Uh, there's a lot of things going on with the school that were catalysts in him not being there that year that I was really frustrated with and still am to this day. Um, so it, it was hard, but Coach Shai treated me very well. Um, you know, played me. Um, you know, I felt like he coached me straight up. You know, I wasn't anybody that he was going to coddle or needed to coddle, um, but I always felt like he was fair and uh, nothing I can really say about you know, uh, him as a hockey coach that year for me. Uh, in your, in your upperclassmen years, junior year, senior year, did you feel like you were, uh, you took on a leadership role for, uh, for some of the underclassmen? Uh, yeah, because I was local, I think was the biggest thing is, uh, I think the, the new guys said they knew you were the, you know, the, the, the man about the campus cause you were, you were from there. And by then you'd kind of been around and kind of knew how things worked and, you knew people, you, you knew, you know, if you wanted to talk to a certain girl on the basketball or volleyball team or whatever, usually I might, I might be able to find a way to get guys a, a chance to talk to that, 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 uh, that female, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting into knowing where to go, you know, after hours, um, where and when I think was something that, uh, you know, people looked to me too. And then I think, uh, you know, just help, just being helpful. You know, helping, you know, it's, it's Alaska, let's say, long, uh, dark, cold winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was quite a few conversations you're having with people uh, because it's it's their first time away from home, really. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of pressures to, you know, maintain your schoolwork and things like that. And so, you know, there's times I'm sure I was fortunate or privileged to be the guy that uh, maybe might have some good things to say and help with uh, managing of uh, dealing with all that stuff that is uh, trying to play hockey and be a college student because it's not easy. Uh, now, you would know better than anybody playing pro and playing college. Nothing makes a guy braver than a full cage. How dirty was college hockey? Um, things that were dirty would have been things you'd consider always to be dirty. Maybe a slew foot, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, maybe a spear here and there but what was tough for me was the chirping mm-hmm. you know guys could get away with chirping you um and not have to deal with the consequences right. um you know or you know, like you said uh, you know we talk about things being dirty you know like those games are still refed pretty tightly yeah and so if somebody gave you some huge uh despicable or you know cheap elbow or cross check or uh, boarding thing, you know, uh, that was, you know, where you're completely defenseless or whatever. Those, those things got called. Uh, but obviously some guys are better than others that get away with stuff like spearing you in the, in the areas that aren't fun to be speared in. And, uh, but the, 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 the shit talking, the, the, the chirping was something that I just, I always struggle with because, you know, you just know that if it was a situation where you could deal with it, otherwise you couldn't pro. Yeah. It would either, cease to exist very quickly yeah <laughs> um you know what i mean yeah or just or that person might know better mm-hmm. uh than to speak up at all so 
that to me, I thought was the most frustrating part was uh, guys having a green light or, or having the feeling like they were free to say whatever they wanted to you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I said, sometimes that kind of stuff, it, 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 it takes you back to maybe when you, you know, um, you know, maybe you had a syndrome, you know, I had some disappointments, you know, not making certain teams I wanted to make and having people think or say things to you that were not, uh, not nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so by then as a 21, 22, 23, 24 year old, younger person, um, you've kind of maybe got a little more physical confidence about you and maybe you're a little more refined in terms of being able to tap into your, your anger and things like that. And so to have to deal with players, talk to you a certain way was, was, was tough for me. One thing I noticed your senior year when I looked at the stats from all the other teams, uh, North Dakota, obviously a school with a rich tradition of hockey, uh, aside from their talent, they had five of the top 10 penalty minute guys in the league. Uh, were they like the scourge of the league or was it just, you know, was it just another, you know, it just so happened that way. Not that they're stockpiling guys. Obviously it's not, uh, 1970s WHL, but it was something that jumped out to me when I saw that they had five of the top 10 guys in penalty minute leaders that senior year for you. I think, you know, lots of different programs were known for different things. That was definitely a program where they, they had guys that seemed like they were already ready for a different type of game. Um, um, you know, you, you had schools like Denver and Carter College in Minnesota and Wisconsin that maybe got more of the top flight, you know, American-born players. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas North Dakota, you know, would get a few of those guys, but they'd also get some of the, some of the better, grittier Canadians gotcha. from those Canadian leagues. And so for them, you know, playing against, you know, being in a caged league all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I, they were a lot spunkier than, than the other teams. I think Duluth was a spunky team. Our team was a bit of a spunky team. Um, maybe, maybe Mankato to a degree. But, no, it makes sense that North Dakota would have most of the penalty minutes. And, and they had rivalries, too, like long-standing rivalries. And so when they would play the Gophers or play maybe Wisconsin or, or whatever, especially I would say most likely the, the Minnesota teams, there was a lot more familiarity there because they're right next to each other. You know, they had a lot more spirited games than, let's say, the other teams did. So that it, that's what that was what my answer would be to explain them having that many penalty minutes guys. And they had guys like, um, gosh, I, I forget some of their names, but uh, some guys that were just like, oh, uh, Andy Green, Matt Green. Is it Matt Green? I think it's Matt Green. Uh, Matt Green, I think. Yeah. I mean, they had some big, strong, uh, heavy players on their team that, could hurt you, you know, when they stepped up and, you know, wanted to punish you in the corners or in front of the net. I mean, they, they, they had a very heavy team. Yeah, very, I'll tell very you. Heavy team. So you have here, and again, the penalty minutes of college are nothing like pro, but you had a guy named Matt Smaby, Smaby led yep. the league. Uh, yep. Then it was Mike Perpich. Um, yep. And then they had um, five, six, and seven, a guy, uh, Kyle Radke, yep. uh, Joe Finley, former Islander, and uh, Zach yep. Jones. So those yep. were your five guys there from that team. Yep, I remember uh, Schmaby and uh, Finley. Mm-hmm. You know, big, big, rangy defensemen that uh, you know they were coached well. I mean, they, yeah. they, they knew you know they were they were NHL draft picks, and um, you know they weren't confused about what was expected of them. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
so your your college career is over, and uh, at the end of the season, you get four games in with the Aces. Uh, how did that come about? I'm assuming it's just familiarity now. Uh, you're obviously a hometown guy. You you there's name recognition. Uh, did they reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. No, Davis Payne was a hell of a coach. Obviously, still in the NHL uh, now, and I think it was just more of like a reward for being that uh, local born player that had graduated that year and you know they had the best team in the league and it made sense for a lot of those east coast league teams who had call-ups players that were up there waiting to come back players that were injured at that that time of the year their longer seasons obviously in college and so if you can sign a few guys that can come in and play a handful of games and uh give guys a rest uh it made sense and that was that was pretty much um all I, that was expected of me was just to kind of come in and get my feet wet. Uh, they by no means had any uh, expectations of me. Uh, so that was no situation where I was just, I was happy to be there mm-hmm. um, and definitely enjoyed it. Um, yeah. uh, you know, just all those great road trips, Las Vegas and Atlanta and Fresno. Um, and then just being on a team with some really good hockey players. Some of those guys played in the NHL. Uh, well, two guys I want to ask you about. One guy I'm not sure that you overlapped with because you only played the four games. He played 12 with Zach Fitzgerald. Did you guys overlap at all? Uh, we did because he was such a stud mm-hmm. when he came in. He didn't last very long before he was already called up to Peoria. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and- but I definitely I knew him because he was friends with Nate Thompson. Okay. So I was there when he arrived, and so I hung out with him socially mm-hmm. and got to be around him that way but I, yeah definitely wasn't there when he was playing on the team I, I wasn't on the team with him and uh what about mike lee mike lee was a guy i grew up with uh we started playing hockey together uh he was that larger than life figure that was like a superhero um very good hockey player um he was like an nfl running back that could skate like the wind hit like a truck and hurt you really bad um like a bob probert uh he was he was an amazing uh talent growing up here in anchorage that i really looked up to and, and admired and, and revered and respected and obviously he was my one of my best friends in life um so it was really cool getting to be on the team with him at, at that point but uh he was uh like i said i i, uh, I wish like hell he would have had a little more opportunities to, to make it. But as you, as you know, just all, all the years that you've been involved, I mean, it, it takes a lot of luck. Yeah. Uh, it takes some, uh, some, some, some good breaks to uh, have things work out for you. Uh, you mentioned Davis Payne, his assistant that year was a player assistant coach, Keith McCambridge, who uh, he's known for his physical style of play. Did you get to pick his brain at all while you were uh, down oh, with yeah. them? So the, these guys were uh, critical to me in terms of figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that they expected me to play a rougher game, but I knew nothing about the role mm-hmm. other than watching when I could, when I was, you know, when they had games on Wednesdays or Sunday afternoons or whatnot, or when we didn't have games mm-hmm. like during Christmas holidays or whatever. And I could go there on a Friday and Saturday night. And obviously when our season was over, I got to go to a lot of aces games. I really didn't know what, playing the role meant. Mm-hmm. And so Davis Payne and Keith McCambridge were the first to kind of introduce to me, other than obviously the players right. from a locker room's point of view, but those guys would kind of, you know, after practice, pull you aside and just kind of talk to you about like, this is well, what's expected of you. You know, they wouldn't say, Hey, you need to go out there and fight 10 right. times, mm-hmm. but they would kind of talk you through some of the, um, 
psychology of what it means to be in a lineup. What is what is what it means for me to be in the lineup at that level and what's expected of me, things I need to be paying attention to. Um, and then, you know, obviously with Keith McCambridge, the first real on ice tutelage, <laughs> if you will, right? Like yeah. that. All right, this is how we do it, man. This is how we get after it. Like, drop your gloves, drop your stick. You know what I mean? And it's like, wow, I don't, I don't want to be wasting his time. And I felt like he was even cared enough about me to kind of, you know, like, I didn't even know if I was even going to be around the beginning of next year. Obviously, I know I wanted to be, but yeah. uh, he, he helped me. Mm-hmm. And I got, into, I got into a quick fight there in Stockton that went well um, during that four-game span. But uh, that was my introduction to, like, all right, man, if you're going to, have a chance to, to play at this level. Uh, there's something you need to figure out. That's great. Now, and ultimately it culminated with your first pro fight, um, April 5th, 2006. And unfortunately a lot of your early coast league stuff is not available on video, but you fought Jason Metcalf of Stockton. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, I do. I remember, uh, got after him pretty good activity. You know, obviously didn't know what much as far as like real polished technique, mm-hmm. Uh, but I know I got on top of him right away, um, and I know it went well, and I think it ended with, up with us falling because my balance wasn't that great. But the fight lasted long enough to where I definitely, uh, you know, I don't know if people would just lie to me to make me feel good or whatever, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely was made to feel like I won the fight mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. So, But uh, my next fight versus uh, Crosby, I think, or, or uh, uh, he was Crosby. in Manchester. For, Crosby. Oh, Crosby, yeah. That, that, uh, that I know I didn't win. Um, and that was my next foray into, uh, you know, on ice fisticuffs. <laughs> well, before we get to Mr. Crosty, and even though it's a small sample size, it was only the four games. How did the, uh, competition of the coast compare to college? I mean, you were playing big time college hockey. How was the level of competition? How did they compare to each other? It was a lot more big time. Uh, you know, UA was meant a big deal, but it was it meant a bigger deal when we went to Wisconsin, North Dakota, Denver, CC. The games were more of a big deal in these places because they had better student or better hometown kind of uh, support as far as people actually being in the stands. Uh, so to play for the Aces, which were like the biggest thing in going that time, and then it being a newer, expansed or expansive part of the East Coast Hockey League, you know, Victoria, Vegas, Stockton, Bakersfield, Boise, Idaho. You know, these were really nice towns, yeah. you know, I mean, with the exception of the, the, some of the California teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but these teams had really good players. Because uh, at that point, like, these these teams, they had to, you know, if you wanted to have a good team, you had to invest. Yeah. Um, and uh, these teams definitely invested. And, and, and so they had good hockey teams with a lot of legit uh, hockey players that you know had been drafted, maybe had some time in the NHL, or maybe were thought of maybe eventually one day having potential to play in the NHL. So these were really competitive uh, games uh, during that that era for the uh, East Coast Hockey League, at least in the West Coast. That is. Now you mentioned your balance, and I know I, I don't know when you started, so that's why I'll ask it. Uh, when did you start training uh, in MMA? And uh, I guess to further ask that, did you? focus strictly on striking did you incorporate any uh bjj in there for like the grappling technique what what did you focus on and when did you start so I, up until about when i got called up for the for manchester i was just thriving on what i was watching on youtube okay and you meet some old military guy in the gym and you know after breaking my hand a couple of times i had some older guys that show me how to throw a punch and mm-hmm. you know give me give me their ideas about what they thought um 
I should be doing. Uh, but when I got called up to Manchester, it was at the very end of, you know, training camp, training camp site here. So obviously I had no idea I was going to be there and mm-hmm. getting called up was, you know, I was reluctant and it was, it was a shock, mm-hmm. but the uh, Kings had a guy named Jeremy. Uh, I forget his last name and I'm really upset about it right now, but he was the one who trained Bugard okay. and a lot of guys with the, in, in Minnesota. He had, he had a, he had a, uh, a mixed martial arts, uh, uh, gym in, in, in Minneapolis there. Okay. I hope I can remember the name before the, before we get off the phone. I'll, I'll text it to you afterwards. But his name is Jeremy, just a really mm-hmm. uh, hard-nosed guy, just through and through, expert on all that stuff. But the Kings would have him come out and work with uh, the guys once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to learn more about grabs and protecting yourself and establishing your balance, understanding where your hips were, mm-hmm. um, all of the finer points. And having a real one-on-one guy work with you yeah. for, I mean, there's times, I mean, they're ready to shut the lights off after <laughs> practice and he'd be out there with me mm-hmm. because, you know, that year I was expected to be the guy because they wanted Dwight King and Jordan Nolan to kind of focus on hockey. Right. They knew that those fights were going to eventually find them just because of the way they played. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't want them being worried about the stress of like, oh, I guess I got to be the one to step up here, right. and so I was kind of that 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 guy that was expected to be the one that you know did or answered that bell, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it made sense to me because Jordan Jordan Nolan and, and Dwight King were obviously phenomenal hockey players, and yeah. if I was in charge of wanting to develop them uh, for the NHL, I wouldn't want them being worried about having to be the hammer at the American right. League level, where it's like, man, you, you it's around every corner, you don't, you can't even focus on playing. Uh, if 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 you gotta you know always look around the corner and who's waiting for you. So uh, that was that was the first introduction, and then it carried on into the summer where, before I would go to training camp, I went to my buddy's gym where I knew he was a coach and a trainer, mm-hmm. and I'd work with him for four to six weeks. Uh, just you know, I'd wear, I'd put the guillotines on. They'd put me on medicine balls and teach me how to throw punches while maintaining your balance, and uh, just really really put you to the test. Yeah. Uh, I think he got a, I think he got a kick out of it because it wasn't something he's familiar with. Yeah. So I really, I really think I was fortunate that I had a buddy that was like obsessed with hockey fighting. Mm-hmm. And so you would watch hockey fights and then he would come up with these drills mm-hmm. that, uh, that we should do. And, uh, he, he got me ready. I mean, without that, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever have a knockout if it wasn't for guys like this showing me how to, uh, you know, shorten my punches up, uh, understand what's, you know, what's, well, it's an effective way of protecting yourself while still being in a position to to throw a punch. Because at that point, you know, there was the whole thing about, oh, yeah, you're in a fight and, like, great, you survived and maybe you won. Mm-hmm. But it was like, all right, you need to win. Right. You know, you need to win your fights. And I think once I got to that level, I started to learn, like, all right, like, this is how you win a fight at mm-hmm. a very legit level. Because in the East Coast League, you know, you're still relatively, you know, fighting guys that are inexperienced and Definitely yeah. not the experience that the guys in the American League do, right. and so I, you're, I got away with I think outworking people. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the East, where in the American League level, like guys were just going to go down. Mm-hmm. So now you don't have to worry about the coach's name because you can always bring it up when we get to your Manchester tenure anyway. So you don't have to worry about it because there's no chance we're getting to Manchester tonight anyway. So you have some time to throw his name out there and give him some credit when we get to Manchester. Mm-hmm. So um, another question I want to ask you. And again, I'm wondering if I heard this correctly, and I don't know where this exactly fits in, in in your story, but is it true that you were once a sanitation worker at Anchorage Refuse? Yes, yes. And that was uh, a big part 
of learning how to get dirty. Uh, you know, I, I attribute that a lot to, I had a very hard nosed stepdad. Okay. Um, who had a very, uh, demanding job where you know it meant he was gone for two to four weeks out of a month and was only home for one to two weeks and uh was just a really hard-nosed guy that came came from down south and uh obviously culturally there were some differences there and i kind of had to learn to appreciate him as the years went on Mm -hmm. but it was expected that you have a a, a job Mm -hmm. you know and 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 you couldn't just have any old job i couldn't go to the mall right you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it was expected i have a job to where i could afford to because he absolutely refused to allow my mom to help me or in any way help me pay for my gas. Right. Like that was something that was very important to him and my mom was that you can you pay your car insurance and you can pay for your gas. And, you know, hey, like if there's something you want to do with your friends that whatever constitutes, you know, a little more money, you know, maybe it's like a trip or whatever. I mean, not, never a trip on an airplane, but, you right. know, a camping trip or something like that. I think they would have supported me or whatever. But it was it was definitely clear that I needed to make my own money in the summertime. And I had a friend that worked there and told me how much money you could make. And it was only four days a week. Yeah. It was only four. And I love that. It was only four days a week. It was super early, which was like, Oh man. But, uh, there wasn't much you could do unless you had a real good in to make a lot of money. Like these government jobs, like mm-hmm. landscaping, you know, city projects or base mm-hmm. projects where you got paid at that point, it was like 35 to 50 bucks an hour. So I didn't have that kind of hookup. So for me to get like 16 bucks an hour throwing garbage, that was a really big deal in 1989. And uh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say it to me that it's just, that's another part of your story. Like to me that that's why I was saying before we started recording, I, I just think that's just a small part, but not a small part of your story. And that's why I'm, I'm glad that I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where, but uh, yeah. but I think it's great. Well, and, and I thought I could do that job without getting dirty. Oh well. <laughs> I I really I really thought. And I remember my first day it was like the third or fourth fourth house. Something exploded on me. Uh. You know, it was fish juice and wet oh. trash, and oh. I was like, and, and 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 back then it was such a tough job. They couldn't just put you in the back of the truck because it was dangerous. Yeah. So you were with somebody, an older person. Mm-hmm. And I had learned that you didn't want to be a chump. Obviously, you know, you learn that from, you know, your social peer group thing that you work, you grew up in. But then here I am on the back of a truck with a man, a grown ass man. Mm-hmm. And there's a grown ass man or a woman because we had a female driver in the uh, fleet then uh, driving the truck. And so, like, you know, I wouldn't dare uh, uh, give somebody a chance to be like, yeah, fucking guy, he couldn't make it or <laughs> he was soft and he couldn't cut it or whatever. And so I remember being like, well, I can't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't stop, you know, cause there was a certain amount of houses that you were expected to get to a day mm-hmm. in a day and, and, and whatever. Right. So I remember I just had to suck it up. And then I think I learned like, come on, you idiot. Like you're going to get dirty. And if you don't get dirty, you are not going to be able to effectively pick up and grab this trash and keep this truck moving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because people want to get done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I know that more than anything, you know, now I work a real job. Like you, whatever you got to get done during that day, you want to get it done as quickly and as efficiently as possible. No one wants to be at work any longer than they have to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And, uh, I learned that then. Now you're talking about not getting dirty, getting dirty. You sound like a buddy of mine. Who's a germaphobe. Are, are you a germaphobe? <sighs> I am. And I'm not, if that okay. makes any sense. Well, you explain. Know, uh, 
you know, I have some, you know, I don't like it. People hand me their, like if someone hands me a drink, I don't like it when they put their fingers around the rim. Oh yeah. Okay. That's normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if somebody, and if, and if I've got a drink, I don't like if people are, are, are talking over it. Cause as you and I both know mm-hmm. at our age, we've had plenty of friends that spit when they talk. Yeah. You know, so I'm weird about that. And then I'm weird about the things that are obviously disgusting or whatever, but for the most part, I'm not like incessantly washing my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it turns of hockey, yeah. I hate when people spit around me. I don't like people spitting around me. I hated that. And if you've noticed, people will put their sticks down on the bench. And for some reason, I still, and I got to think maybe now in 2023, this might be a thing now because of the flu and COVID that maybe trainers have gotten a hold of this terrible habit. But players would put the butt into their stick down in front of their feet. Yeah, handle down, blade, right? And and it, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people spit on the floor. Oh yeah, the whole freaking game. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So you yeah. can imagine, like, and I was, you know, I took high school biology, I took college biology. You know what I mean? I've seen yeah. all these things under under our limbs. You know what I mean? In the pictures and the videos and stuff, and that you know there was those 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 viral videos of things being pop. I mean, I I I, I like, and then like, like I'm living with these guys. You know, yeah. every day, you know, I'm going through buffet lines and they've got their hand down their pants <laughs> and then they take their hand out of their pants to grab the spoon <laughs> to serve, to serve themselves. So there's all these things where I'm just like, ah, yeah. like, <laughs> like it was just frustrating. Just how like, so from that point of, from that point of view, yes, I was a germaphobe because I was aware of things before. I think a lot of guys were in terms of like basic hygiene, but you know, I wasn't so crazy that I couldn't wait to like wash my hands or whatever all the time. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, I was I was gritty enough, but yeah, there was a few things I really cared about. Uh, you know, trying to protect myself from. I don't think you're a germaphobe at all. I I got to yeah. be honest with you. Just hearing your rationale for the stuff with the drinks and that stuff is just common sense. And uh, I I I will agree with you. I think the way you phrase it is about being aware of this stuff because obviously I don't think you could be a pro athlete and not be around people spitting. So uh, mm-hmm. no, I I got to be honest with you. I think the way you explain it, I don't think you're a germaphobe at all. Yeah, no, I just it's just one of those things. Like you know, I, I'm sure you were there when you were 14, 15 on the football field or the baseball or I'm not sure what sports you played. And, like people start spitting, it just becomes a thing. And for me, it, it, spitting never became a thing. And when I wasn't chewing tobacco, it definitely meant it wasn't a thing for me. Um, and, you know, I remember you know, kids wanted to worry about how far they could spit and if they could yeah. spit through their teeth. And I mean, we, you know, I mean, like, you, you know what I mean? Like we, we were guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I must say women don't spit because now I'm you know, well aware women spit now too. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we, we, we get to see them, them shine now more than we ever used to growing up in terms of, you know, women, you know, all of, all of us have grit. Um, and things that we get to kind of, you know, it's our part of kind of being a part of the, uh, the the culture, the fabric of whatever's going on. And like like I said, sometimes you get hit in the mouth, and you know, whether you're male or female, like you're not going to just you know swallow your blood. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but in the locker room when you're kids, like just uh, I just couldn't I couldn't stand it. Like guys would spit in their area, and I remember I'd, I'd pick a hockey bag up and I would go to the complete other part of the locker room <laughs> to get away from you if you were someone who spit. So. Um, yeah, brutal. Well, I was a big spitter. I, when I was a kid and I'd eat gummy bears, it would just make my mouth water and I was spitting everywhere. 
Um, I just, I'm disgusting. I, I would spit all and everything you just described about, you know, kids trying to see how far they could, that was me. So you, mm-hmm. it was like, you saw me as a kid, we would spit everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And as far as women spitting, women athletes spitting, it doesn't even phase me, but no, being, in, being in New York city, when I see a woman spit on the street, it grosses me out beyond belief. Yeah. I, uh, just, you know, being a hockey player. I, I love that that side of their game is now uh, applauded and appreciated because you know y- 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 when you and I grew up, it you know being a being a female athlete meant you had to kind of fit a certain yes um, thing. Yep. And I love now I love now women are very proud to show their toughness and you know even though it's a an innocuous way of of, of demonstrating that kind of grit mm-hmm. or, or toughness or whatever I, I I do get a kick out of it you know. Um, doesn't even phase oh, yeah. me if it's an yeah. if it's an athlete it's just another athlete spitting but yeah. the stuff i see in new york city absolutely gross it skeeves me beyond yeah. belief but if i'm <laughs> if i'm flipping channels and you see a, a female athlete spitting it's just another athlete spitting yep so yep. but yeah i see yep. some pretty disgusting shit here in the city so yep. that oh, is yeah. fucking horrible oh yeah so. especially riding that subway oh yeah you have no idea <laughs> mm-hmm. yep as we enter 2006-2007, this is an interesting season. Uh, you played 16 games total. You started out with Alaska. Now, did you sign a PTO with them, or did you sign an outright contract with them? Um, I would imagine it was like a typical ACHL standard players contract. Um, I don't think they had a PTO, and then, you know, it's not even worth the uh, paper it's written on. Okay. And they can get rid of you at any time, and uh, you know it's week to week kind of kind of thing in terms of how how you get paid. Um, but yeah, uh, coming out of camp, I uh, just they had a, a, a legit tough guy coming down from Peoria, um, and so that meant that there was no room for a guy like me. Those, those Aces teams back then were really good. Was that guy that came down Hans Benson? Um. Was he on the team that year? Oh six. He played. He played there. Oh six. Oh seven. I just don't know how much he was yes. there for. So. Yes. Yeah. That would have been Hans. Okay. That would have been Hans. A lot more. A lot more seasoned than I was. A yep. lot more well established in that role. He knew. He knew what was expected of him, and he'd kind of already had done it for a few years and improved himself. Whereas I was, you know, coming in, coming in, out of the cold with, uh, you know, no reputation, no. No resume, uh, nothing, nothing that would have told the coaching staff, you know, he can do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Han, Hans definitely had that. Yeah. So you played the preseason. You already mentioned uh, the fight you had with Paul Crosty. That one, uh, that one didn't go your way. And at this point in your career, like like you say, you're 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 pretty raw at this point. So you're when you fight an established guy, uh, I I just kind of get the feeling that you're even even if you the fight doesn't go your way you're still picking things up in those fights because basically you're like a you're pretty much like a blank slate at, at this point as a pro no yes yeah i uh, just going off of instincts and whatever i thought was you know how how you fought in the ice and no real uh no real uh, consistent work or practice being put into to, to that part of the game for me yet so uh, going up against a guy who was a little more ready, uh, you know, as far as having a technique and, you know, establishing balance and, uh, you know, getting, you know, understanding how to throw punches and uh, stay on the attack. I was, uh, yeah, I was in trouble. 
Um, and then four four games in, uh, I guess they they just released you, right? That was you said yep. that they could just drop you. Um, how long were you out of the game before you were picked up by Idaho? Um, so I was kind of in that point where I was like, oh man, um, had high hopes. I was going to play on the aces and, you know, be that hometown guy that, I, you know, I thought I was or, or, or had plans on being. And uh, still didn't have my college degree uh, finished. Um, needed a job because, you know, I had to pay rent. Yeah. And I just decided to go work for my, uh, he's now an assistant coach with the uh, Barracudas in the American League, Louis Mass, mm-hmm. who was kind enough to let me, uh, you know, move in with him. And I, uh, I, I had to do something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, he he was running a, a hockey training facility, um, and so I went to work for him. I was taking uh, a couple classes to wrap up my degree, and I would say you know through October and November and December I was kind of like uh, figuring out like you know what what my life was going to be like. Uh, not even a time I you know can't remember much about it. Yeah. Um, but I know it was like a reckoning of, you know, coming to terms with reality mm-hmm. and then, uh, got awakened by an early, early morning phone call from a kid. I grew up playing hockey with that was having a real nice uh, stint with the uh, Boise uh, or the Idaho steelheads. And, uh, he was called up and, uh, the Idaho steelheads were in town and they were one of the better teams in that division at the time. And they were just decimated with call-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what was going on in Iowa at the time, but they had a lot of injuries or whatnot. Or maybe they had a bunch of guys up with, with Dallas and uh, he said, hey, do, do you still want to play hockey? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And he said, well, uh, my, my coach is going to call you and uh, need some players to get to the weekend. And at that point, it wasn't uncommon for these teams that were coming up to play the Aces to uh, definitely to utilize some of the local guys that had played college hockey, you know, the, the goalies. Yeah. Uh, but every now and then, you know, a guy that was coming out of the game or, you know, newly out of the game would, would get a call like this. Um and uh, that, I guess that was my turn and uh, played, played three games that weekend, got in a couple rough fights with, uh, I forget the guy's name. Jeff, Jeff Smith. Smith maybe. Yeah. Uh, first one went really well. Second one, uh, you know, I think he definitely utilized his, uh, his size and height and uh, tech technique or, you know, experience. And that was, a, it was a tough one for me, but uh, it was a good weekend of hockey, you know, played a regular shift, which was crazy you know, coming out of the cold again and, uh, got to play and had a lot of fun. Uh, I liked the guys in the room. They were real supportive of me and, you know, knew it was a tough thing to kind of, you know, suit up against a team that, um, had cut you mm-hmm. and, you know, just, you know, it's pretty rough for my family, uh, in the stands, uh, <laughs> during that weekend. And just, you'd hear it when you come on and off the ice and then you got your friends chirping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just, it was, it was, it was fun to get to play again. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Uh, but the other side of it wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't very enjoyable, but with the way I was treated by the team and I guess maybe I'd done enough that weekend to kind of, you know, at least give the coach the, uh, the idea that, Hey, th- this is somebody we can use when we need him. And he said, Hey man, like, will you come play if I, if, you know, if you can, if you're available? And I said, yeah, of course. And so over the course of that, the next two or three months, I, I got quite a few phone calls and jumped on some, flights and got to go play hockey and got to pretend to still be a hockey player. So <laughs> it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, um, the aces needed somebody mm-hmm. to uh, step in for a weekend. And 
that was a lot of fun because here I was, had a real nice stint with Boise or Idaho Steelheads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of my really good friends growing up were on that Aces team, like Corbin Schmidt. And got to play, and I, I got treated like I was on the team for yeah. a weekend, which was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, the weekend went well. Uh, I think I got in a good fight against somebody. I don't know if it was Long Beach or Fresno, yep. where we played uh, against him. Stuart Kerr of Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, went good. And mm-hmm. uh, then you go into the summertime, and Davis Payne, or I think he had, at that point, he was kind of like still a hot commodity in terms of like, you know, after you know, 06, I think he was, it was known that he was going to be moving up at some point. And it could, it could happen at any time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, it was this Keith McCambridge. He was seven oh seven oh eight, I believe. Correct. Um, uh, McCambridge, the, the, the next year in Utah was uh Smurf was the head coach and Kevin Colley yeah. was the assistant. Well, that year I was, I was signed to, to play with the aces again. Okay. And, um, so went into that camp, had a, had a good camp, um, you know, coming in with some, some confidence, having played, you know, some games the, the year before, um, you know, had a good relationship, good rapport with Keith. Um, just, just a really, like, just a very astute, um, classy, um, strong presence kind of guy and I was lucky to have him you know treat me well but he uh same same story somebody coming down from Peoria um and when that happens it's you know I'm the easiest guy to kind of get rid of at that point but when I say easiest um it was a unique experience for me because I you know I don't know if he'd admitted or whatever and I don't know if maybe I was not um Maybe I, if I misjudged the uh, moment when he had to let me know, let me go, uh, I felt like he was emotional mm-hmm. in saying so. I think he really wanted, I think he was really looking forward to having me be a part of the team. I was a local guy. I was popular with a lot of guys in the locker room, obviously. And um, I, I think, it, I, I believe that was a tough call for him to make, you know, and it wasn't a call, like it was kind of dictated or mandated to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so <sighs> went went home and, still kind of feeling like, oh, I think maybe there's a chance that I might get a chance with somebody else. And Scott Burt, who was with uh, Idaho Steelheads, was with Utah. Mm-hmm. And I got a phone call early in the morning from uh, from Jason Christie, Smurf, yep. just saying, hey, uh, how's, 400, how's $400 a week sound? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I said, uh, I won't use the terminology. You, you could know. use whatever you want, man. I decided some people might be offended or what. Uh, uh, yeah, I said, for, I said for 400 bucks a week, I'll be a runaway, you know. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. you. And, uh, you know, I, I said it in jest to be funny. There, you know, there's nothing funny about the connotation, but right. um, he got a laugh. He got a laugh. He says, no, j- just be be who Scott Burt says you are, and uh, we'd, we're, we'd love to have you. And uh, I would say within 24 hours, I was all packed up and on a plane down to Salt Lake City. So uh, you played with the well, and going to Salt Lake City, you reunited with uh, Bourne and Lawson. They were there at the time, so you had some familiar faces there. Um, also, there are two guys I want to ask you about: uh, Olivier Labelle, and of course, Islander fans know Michael Haley really well. What was it like playing with those guys? Um, Olivier Olivier Labelle was one of a kind, um, hilarious off the rink, um, really good player on the ice, like. Played a played a tougher game, could score goals. Um, 
kept the off kept the other team like off balance, mm-hmm. right? Because he had a really thick French accent. Um, he, he very verbal, you know, like 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 to chirp, uh, and and off the ice in the locker room, just like just a really fun guy. Mm-hmm. Like loved to hang out with the guys, loved to go to the bar, uh, get after the ladies. Uh, he's a bit of a ladies man. Um, Michael Haley obviously was was, was more of a prospect for the Islanders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, I think he was kind of looking at that more like, you know, not going to try to be here much longer than I need to be mm-hmm. kind of thing. Had a, had a, had a, had a, I would say a healthy chip on his shoulder, had a lot of, had a lot of confidence and swagger about, you know, what he was bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And then with, with uh, Justin Bourne and Nathan Lawson thing, that was what I was so pumped about, yeah. you know, was I had some film familiarity with guys that I knew that I really liked, mm-hmm. you know, and that if anything, it was going to make me um, more at ease coming into that dressing room. Uh, so no, that, there was uh, it was like a, a rede- re- being reborn, um, getting another shot, mm-hmm. if you will. Like it was just it was. I would say that was that was an exciting time in my life where I was like, man, I'm, I I got a chance to be to you know play hockey, you know. I don't have to go get a real job and, and uh, you know, be one of those guys that thinks you should have, would have, could have. You know, I, I did not want to be that that kind of per- that kind of person because here in Alaska we got quite a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the answer to this because I know you are Jason Christie's type of player. What was it like playing for Smurf? So much fun. Yeah. So much fun. He really liked to have a relationship with the guys on the team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the ones he liked. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a player he didn't like, then yeah, it's probably a pretty rough place to be. But I think that's on par with anywhere you go. Yeah. With uh, whether you know playing sports or any other kind of profession, um, he was a he was a he was a player's coach. He uh, had an idea about guys playing with an edge, uh, not backing down. Um, play a hard game. He, he didn't overcomplicate things. Uh, he was fun to play for. Um, treated you, treat, well, treated me with dignity. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I really felt like, uh, he coached me and, and, and valued me. You know, obviously he played me. So I, I guess that says a lot. Um, and you know, he never really said, Hey, I expect you to do this, you know, and and be be that guy because we had Ian Forbes in the team, mm-hmm. and at that point, you know, you know, I'm only you know five five nine and a half, maybe five ten to eleven on a good day, mm-hmm. depending on you know you know what kind of mattress I slept on. But <laughs> you know, Ian Forbes is six foot seven. Yeah. You know, then you had then you had Michael Haley, who's a known commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know how long you're going to have him on the team, right? And so then I'm like a you know I don't even know if I'm third or even a fourth, mm-hmm. but. uh you know, expectations of me being that guy, I don't think we're quite there yet. So that probably allowed me to just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm, you know, until I get tapped in the shoulder, until it's obviously me, I guess I just get to pl- get to play. Hey, so I was going to say, not only did you drop him, you had, you had 11 fights that year. You were fifth on the team at Pimps, but you also found a little bit of a scoring touchdown there. It, it, to me, it's just a testament like you just said that he let you play. You had eight goals in fifty-seven games. Yep, 
and even got a hat trick. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I got a hat trick in Stockton, like three straight shifts. I don't know if they call that, but it was just like. It That's was, a it natural was, hat trick. Yeah, it was an awesome year. It was an awesome year. Went to Sundance, and uh, we had Jordan Hart and the team who had some uh, New York City connections, and so we got to some parties that we had zero business being in, mm-hmm. zero business being in, <laughs> in, in, in Park City. So much fun. Open bars, you know, for guys playing in the coast, you know, who didn't have endless, uh, you know, means of income. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, 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 if Andy McDonald wasn't around, you know, you know you're going to dig into your pocket, right? Yeah. Uh, and when I say Andy McDonald, he was just a very generous, uh, genuine guy that, uh, you know, was, had, he was not pretentious or anything. And when he came down, he was, he was nothing but wonderful to us just in terms of like, you know, spreading the wealth, I guess, if you will. Now, unfortunately, as I said earlier, a lot of your fights uh, from the coast, the first go round, are not available. The only two fights I saw from this season, uh, Robin Gomez of Victoria, uh, that fight looked like you landed a solid left as you guys were falling to the ice. And then uh, Jason Goulet uh, with Bakersfield, that fight didn't look like it was it went your way from the video, but again, angles are angles. I got a bunch of other names here. I mean, Matt Odette, he's a big dude. I remember him. Uh, Tim Spencer, your Alaskan brother there. Um, mm-hmm. And a, another guy who I love, I, I absolutely love this guy, Eric Nielsen, who was with uh, Alaska. So any of those fights jump out at you uh, for any particular reason? Eric Nelson definitely being the most legit, like, where, where I pro- that was probably the fight that year that where I had the most – um, heartburn or or nervousness um he's another lefty really tough guy um i think he fell prematurely okay. not but not because i punched him or over overpowered him or anything like that mm-hmm. um he fell and i remember him getting up and he apologized to me mm-hmm. um because you know at that point for him and i were both kind of in the i mean wasn't in the same boat quite yet with him but right I was trying. I was trying to be. You know, mm-hmm. he was up. And, he was up and coming, and had a had a reputation from uh, being Sidney Crosby's guy and Rabuski. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he was just an awesome. Another another guy that's just salt of the earth, a wonderful kind of guy. And he just I mean, he apologized to me. Yeah. That was some of that in, that uh, that interaction that I wasn't quite used to yet because you know I hadn't really you know been one of those guys yet. And so to have him apologize for the fight not being a little more legit was like, oh, it's like, oh okay, like. Yeah. <laughs> in my head i'm thinking i'm thinking you know what like I, i'm okay with that yeah. you know what i mean like yeah i could stand go to the penalty box without a black eye and you know a bloody nose and stitches so um that i would say he was probably the most legit guy that i had to to face off with that year um there was an incident i'm gonna call it an incident because i don't have any video of it but uh against bakersfield you got you got a fighting major and Jason Costadine and Jay Langager. I don't know if I'm saying their names right. They both got fighting majors. Did you did you end up fighting both of them on the same stoppage or what happened? Yes. If you remember, yes, yeah, we had we had a bit of a line brawl. Okay, and uh, I remember I remember that you know they they just they were you know they were chippier, mouthier type players that didn't really answer the bell. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good players. I remember. But, you know, they, they they were mouthy, you know, they like to talk, but like, you know, they wouldn't, they would never fight you. Right. And, uh, they like to kind of really, you know, get after the team in terms of like, you know, sticking the goalie or mm-hmm. sticking one of your good players or whatever. And I remember this, this particular game, 
Um, they were up to their same old tricks, you know, and it was just like it, it is at that point of the year because it's later in the year. It's just yeah. it, I was just more annoyed. Like it was like a waste of like time to even like go after them. But they had did something out there when I was there, mm-hmm. and I had kind of missed it. Was coming back up ice, and I remember the bench screaming at me, mm-hmm. "Get him! <laughs> Get him now! Get him! Just grab him!" Uh, and it was on. Yeah, got a piece of them, obviously a turtle or whatever. I don't know if there's there might be a video. I'm not sure because there was something like that with, with Fresno that year too. But okay. um, and just kind of had to uh, <sighs> like I I could barely get to the penalty box. Like I remember getting over to the wall mm-hmm. and just asking the ref, "Can I just have a break?" Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I want to say there is video of that somewhere. I couldn't find uh, it. That doesn't mean there yeah. isn't, but I couldn't find it. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I got in two fights in the middle of a line brawl. And obviously, you know, felt like, it, you know, I don't like talking like an asshole, but, you know, no. felt, felt, I felt tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I felt like I did exactly what my teammates expected me to do. I felt like I did exactly what my coaches wanted me to do. And I felt like I delivered. You know, I felt like that, that was, that was a, a, a moment where I was like, all right, I'm, I'm becoming. I'm starting to become a player that is expected or looked at to bring that element mm-hmm. uh, to the team. And, uh, yeah, I got a lot of love, I remember. But I remember being absolutely exhausted. I remember being so exhausted. I want to say the ref even had to hold me up. I was oh, so tired. I could believe it. And, I mean, and the, and the ref did. I think he, yeah. I think he did. I think he did, he did give me a good, like, 10, 15 seconds where he just kind of leaned, leaned me up and uh, – I got into the penalty box and yeah, man, I was uh, absolutely toast. Oh, I can't even like one fight; it, it just takes the life out of you. Fighting two guys, even if you're in the you're the dominant guy, I mean, it's just constant movement. And then when it, you know, like I, you're on adrenaline, then when you're done, it's like I can't breathe anymore now. Oh yeah, and I, and I think the second guy I had to chase him. <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised. Not, yeah, I had to chase him to get to him, um, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. So no, that was the that was I, I want to say that was like a maybe that was a Sunday Sunday matinee or I'm not sure, but that was a fun game. That was a fun game. I remember. Uh, you ended up in the playoffs with Utah. You made it all the way to the semis. You lost to Vegas. You did get into six games there. So was that just more you know like Smurf showing confidence in you, playing you in the playoffs like that? I mean, did you get that kind of feeling? I think we had some guys get sent down from Bridgeport to short the lineup. Okay. I don't think Bridgeport was a playoff team that year. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Okay. Um, but we had some defensemen get hurt. Okay. And I want to say I was in the lineup as a defenseman. Oh, okay. In those games. And uh, got to play. Um, I mean, you can see the teams we played. I spent a week in Victoria, a week in Vegas. Um, like That was a lot of fun because we were – I don't think anybody looked at us like we were like a, a world beater, but man, we just, uh, we took care of business mm-hmm. and playing hockey at that time of year, like in a city like Salt Lake, you know, where it's you know 80 degrees outside and everything's, you know, there's mountains around you and you're taking these nice trips. And obviously when, you, when you're getting that much further in the season, you're, you're being, uh, you're being more well taken care of by the organization. The meals are better, you know, the, the, the travel's better. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a little extra money in the per diem or not. I, I, I can't say for sure, but it's just, it's, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. 
So uh, you started the season with Utah the next season. Did they, uh, were they kind of like, we want you back? Or was it you were uh, talking to other teams? How did that come about? Nope. Uh, it was it was pretty much understood that I, I'd be back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was understood with Smurf and with Kevin Colley. Yep, and, that's what I was uh, going to ask you about. Kevin Colley now is the head coach. So And Smurf had gotten elevated that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, went back to, to play, super excited. I actually had a really um, uh, bad viral infection. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like like the like my sore throat was so bad. I think I almost took myself to the hospital. You know, Shit. went to the doctor a couple of times. Just an awful uh, viral infection. So I was kind of on for the first month of the year. I wasn't even allowed to come to the rink. Wow. Um, then once I was finally able to kind of practice, um, you know, the team is in. You know, uh, there was things going on. Right, there was players players coming and going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had picked up some other veterans where, I don't know, I mean, they're probably on their last legs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how invested they were, you know, yeah. and then, uh, I think there were some other guys that Kevin had brought in mm-hmm. where, you know, they were, um, the team wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? I, I can't remember much. I, I just remember things weren't exactly going that well. Um, and but we had a really tough team. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Recklich. Well, that's the guy I wanted to ask you, you know, about. What's it like playing with the Wrecker? Oh man, like, and I, I'm pretty sure everybody who is asked this question like would be like so happy to tell you like, man, he's not a, he's not at all what people would think he is. He right. is an absolute gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, very thoughtful. Um, very humble, cares about his teammates, loves his teammates. Uh, he's not belligerent or obnoxious on the ice when he's doing his thing. Yes, I'm sure people looked at him as obnoxious, but that was him being the wrecker. Yeah. But man, to be to be his teammate, like I remember him, like, hey JJ, let's you know, let's 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 practice this stuff. Let's you know, let's <laughs> you know, we're gonna be getting fights this year. Come on, you know what I mean? And and uh, just you know, I'm like, well, I'm. I don't know how I can't remember how old I was, but I was just like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm playing in the coast. I'm not sure how serious I'm about this. Like, I'm watching YouTube of these guys like Yablonski and Morasti and Bugard and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't really, I, I didn't have any thoughts of like, yeah, I'm, I'm eventually going to get to that level, right? You know what I mean? So to be a Brad Wrecker when he was like, yeah, dude, like, like he was all, all in yeah. on like being the baddest. You know what I mean? Like. Uh-huh. You know, in you know, like, hey, let's go. We're gonna, we're gonna lift weights, Johnny. We're gonna go to the gym. Gonna, you know, we're gonna go to the gym or whatever, and um, bringing me along. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I couldn't like, I don't want to do that, but yeah. like to have to have him pushing you. Right. I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. Like, let's 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 for ten minutes after practice, let's like practice grappling on the ice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, you know, he'd been coming. He was coming from you know the American League. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah. You know what? Why not learn some more of the finer things about this because this guy clearly looks like he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. like he did yeah, i was definitely conf- i was definitely confident that he could handle himself oh yeah and so i, I so i like i i enjoyed like and i don't and, and at that point in my career i don't know i don't know if he knew how much i appreciated him because like you know we didn't like 
go drinking together and yeah. you know we weren't living together and like it wasn't a long time right like that we spent together yeah but just a hilarious awesome teammate and then will bodine another guy like mm-hmm. just no uh no just no i'm sure guys have told you there's some guys that are just like oh my gosh like guys walking around like he's just the toughest guy in the, oh, in the yeah. world uh-huh. you know I man just yeah. kind of like oh man you know mm-hmm. uh, kind of they can be a little painful because yep. they got to be treated a certain way and I, I hope to god i never did that um i think sometimes maybe now in my personal life maybe i might be guilty of being a bit of a bully in certain situations you know i try to make light of it as best as i can but sometimes you just you are who you are mm-hmm. uh but i would never want to be called a bully no one right. likes a bully right. uh but bodine another quality guy that uh honest you know tough guy uh definitely willing uh you know i think he came to utah to to uh you know just further his his you know his reputation mm-hmm. and so we had a we had a good thing going there um i just really can't remember how well the team was doing but i know that you know the three of us were getting in fights mm-hmm. obviously will and i were getting in more fights than Rickwich was because people were scared to death of him <laughs> Yeah. So I don't remember, I don't remember him getting in very many fights, but not because he wasn't trying. It's because people didn't just didn't want to mess with him at all. Right. Right. I mean, he he was a young, hungry lion. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, like I said, I mean, he was in a race to get to the like in, into the weight room. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So yeah, and then uh, coach tells me, you know, like, hey, uh, think we're gonna get, I'm gonna wave you, and but you know let you I'm gonna let you stick around for a week and, and uh rather rather like he did he did me the favor of like rather than send you all the way back to alaska i'm just gonna you know i'll let you stick around for a week or two and we'll see if um you know anybody wants to uh, pick you up mm-hmm. and uh i was man just super super blessed to have chuck weber um call me up mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know what's funny is when he called me I don't know if Kevin would remember this or whatever, but he's like, he, he chuckled and I was, you know, he's like, you know what? I tried to trade for you like a month ago and he wouldn't trade you. And then all of a sudden you're cut. No kidding. And I'm, he's just like, he's like, <laughs> so like this makes this whole process way easier. He's like, mm-hmm. do you still want to play? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, of course, you yeah. know, of course I want to play. Um, so, uh, now this is where I was just like, well, I guess this is part of the process, you know, and I, I had known by then after a year and a half, two years into it, that going out East in the East coast hockey league was a real jungle. Yep. You know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of the brand names at that level and love and the level above guys that have been going up and down, um, it, it, in terms of what I had been seeing, um, they were out there on those teams. I was going to be playing against every night. So <laughs> I was just like, well, you said you wanted to play hockey, you know, <laughs> That concludes part one of my interview with Justin Johnson. I don't think I oversold it at all. If anything, I may have undersold it. And I really hope that you people got out of it what I did. And uh, I'm fired up to bring you part two next week. So um, next Monday, we'll bring you part two. And until then, I hope that you people stay safe. Mm -hmm.